big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. But I'm just going to go ahead and go to the phone lines and say good morning, Suzanne. Good morning, Bob. You're awake. Oh, well, <laughs> have been for a while, but that's the nature of Saturday mornings in my world. Yes, sir. Um, I'm calling in because I found out something about using Spinosad. Okay. Um, I've been using Spinosad to um, discourage, so to speak, the cut ants that are living underneath my garden. Right. Um, their bed is there. Uh, and it doesn't kill them outright, but it definitely slows them down. What I I couldn't figure out why I was having such um, uneven results with them. Mm-hmm. And so I, I I did some reading on Spinosad and on I think it was the Mother Earth site. Okay. I found out that Spinosad breaks down in sunlight, huh. and I realized that what what I had done was mixed up Spinosad with water. Mm-hmm. Put it in a spray bottle and hung it on my garden fence. Um, and then I'd go out and I'd use it, and I'm going, this stuff's not working, and I think that's why. You know, that is a good possibility, and uh, um, easily corrected, of course, by simply storing it in a darker place or even using a dark-colored spray bottle. But in a way, that's good because it's not leaving a lot of residue around to keep killing things that we don't want to kill, like you know, caterpillars and things like that that we that we favor for the butterflies. But uh, I I did not realize that it was that light sensitive. But um, I certainly do appreciate you sharing that information. I'm making a yeah. note, and we'll discuss that further with uh, Howard and other people. That would be great because I just like some some confirmation. Uh huh. Um, usually when I when I read something one time, I'm Right. Hello, I was born in Missouri. I'm skeptical. <laughs> I'm going, okay. And you also look at the source very carefully. And, uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm very much the same way. And uh, I, I find that some of, the, some of the things that I research that I happen to already know a fair amount about, they only tell half the story. They don't, you know, they'll tell all the good but not the negative. And sometimes they just outright make a mistake i think they're just repeating hearsay rather than actually verifying it and trying it out for themselves so yes i'm like you i'm very very skeptical in anything i i see once you know and depending on where it comes from now mother earth news is a pretty good source and they do a pretty good job of researching things before they print them or put them out there but um you know we've we've all We've all got a lot to learn, and and a little skepticism is a very, very good thing. And, of course, you know, spinosad is actually derived from a natural soil-occurring bacteria, so it's not like it's some exotic, um, you know, laboratory-concocted thing. And uh, I guess it's really only natural that it would break down in sunlight. But I will do some research, too, and uh, you continue to let me know what you learned. I will. And the other, the other little negative information from that, um, it wasn't an article. It was just a, a thing. Um, 
it said if you if you don't use up every all of the spray that you've mixed up, mm-hmm. go ahead and just pour pour it out on the ground someplace where there aren't going to be any butterflies coming in. Right. Um, and that, and that that led me like, wait a minute, this is a it's a bacteria. It's derived from bacteria, mm-hmm. so some some part of it was alive. I'm thinking. Right. And maybe I had just let the stuff get old on top of the sunlight, you know, just by letting it sit. Well, um, so I've, I've changed and I'm now I'm mixing up smaller quantities. Mm-hmm. And at the end, at the end of the day or the end of the time that I'm spraying, um, I just get get rid of it. Well, and I think that's a good policy on everything that you do. I kind of fault many of these companies is they don't tell you how to make a pint of it or a quart of it in fact some of them don't even tell you how to make a gallon they want you to use so many ounces per five gallons when what you need is a cup to do the job but you know it's it's pretty basic arithmetic to be able to break it down into uh the appropriate amount that you need to mix to make up just a very small quantity but you know, I think that's true of virtually everything we do out there, from fertilizers to insecticides to, I guess the only real exception is what we do with the cornmeal. And uh, even that, uh, after about 48 hours, it starts to break down the the um, trichoderma that it creates. So I think it's probably best to just make a general rule on everything like that. Mix only what you need and, uh, just, you know, dispose of the rest of it. All right, very good. Well, I'm, I'm going to I'm will continue with what I'm doing on the cut ends. I am seeing some improvement, but I'm not going to I'm not going to give you the full report until I definitely <laughs> have some results. You don't you don't want to be as guilty as some of these people that publish both. They've only got half the story. The other thing I would tell exactly. you is anything that you are mixing, and I I can't really go through product by product and tell you, but. In our hard water, uh, and in Seguin, you've got a lot of minerals in your water as well. But if you, you know, if you want to be on the safe side, uh, buy that 99 cent jug of distilled water at the grocery store to mix your products because some of these things uh, react with some of the minerals that are in our water and they become less effective and they become very, very much inactivated by the high levels of. Uh, Oh, everything from calcium to magnesium, and in some places, a lot of our folks down south, the sodium that's in the water. So if anything just seems to not be working as well as it should, uh, distilled water is really cheap these days. And if you use that to mix your products, they will last longer. And uh, even in a very short term, I think that it makes things more effective. That is a very good point. We have, we are on a well, and mm-hmm. it is full. Our water is full of minerals. Yeah. Um, which is good for the plants, <laughs> good for the plants, but not so good when you're mixing things up. Not good for the plumbing either. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the house. Uh, yep, yep. Well, I sure met some nice people okay. from your part of the world. Uh, the folks that uh, invented uh, this freeze miser, uh, sort of an automatic dripping device for the faucet. Uh, one of them lives in Kingsbury, the other in Seguin, and had a really nice visit with them. So just always good to know you got a bunch of nice people over in your part of the world. Well, we definitely do. We're a bunch of nice folks. And Thanks I'd, for talking with me. Years, it's my pleasure. Thank you for calling early this morning. It's good to talk All to right. you, Suzanne. Bye. Thank you. Bye. All right, now it's going to be James and Tim and Julie, and James is up next. Good morning, James. Morning, Bob. How you doing? I'm doing very, very well, sir. How about yourself? 
Just fine, thank you, sir. Um, can you hear me? I hear you just fine. Okay, this phone's working good. Then. Uh, <laughs> well, what did I call for? Oh, uh, the uh, that Elbon rise uh, starting to see send up. Well, they hadn't started to send up seed heads, but they're in the boot. Well, you know, it's early. I there's no doubt that it's early, but uh, you know, we've had what maybe two or three freezing mornings. And we haven't really had any in the past 10 days. We've had several days up in the 70s. It's just kind of crazy weather for January. And uh, uh, plants, there are a lot of plants out there that are a little confused. I'm looking at stuff in, uh, you know, more my flower garden. My vegetable garden is pretty much doing everything I would expect. But uh, a lot of uh, perennials and things like that are starting to bud out that shouldn't be budding out this early. And we get a we get a bad freeze in February. It's going to set things back a bit. But you know, well, all we can do is talk about it. We're not going to do anything about it. Okay. Well, I just thought I'd let you know uh, that uh, that those plants are starting to send up their flower stalks and. Uh, it was. I thought that was kind of unusual this time of the year. Oh, I, I think it's six weeks early. I think so, that's something we don't usually see till uh, you know first of March, in my experience. And to have it here in the you know third week of January is is just really really unusual. But uh, that's why I always want to talk about Texas weather. I never use word normal. I always use word typical. And this is certainly not typical weather for January, but. Uh, I'm I'm not planting my, my tomatoes and peppers outside yet. <laughs> okay, um, I wanted to let you guys know the if if you've got a crop Elbon rye and you uh, you wanted to mow kill it, uh huh. That's what I like to do. Um, wait till it starts to flower. Yeah, and yeah. Then, uh, that's that's best best time because boy, it it goes down real fast if you mow it. Uh, Right, right in the flower uh, period of the plant, and uh, you know the plant—that's that's its normal life cycle. Flower makes seed and die, and uh, when you let it, I think once it moves into that seeding out thing, then it really can't back up. So that's a really good point. Actually, goes for a lot of different uh, annual grasses, some of which we consider weeds. Uh, if you mow it, it right after the seed head starts to come out maybe before the seeds even mature so you don't get a lot of it re-sprouting um sure it's a good way to knock it down and most of it will die out so as always you're very kind to share your knowledge and experience with us and i appreciate it well i just thought i'd mention that but uh the reason i really called is to find out where i can find some rice holes to mulch my uh cilantro beds and what and what is it that you're looking for rice holes Oh, rice hulls. You know, rice hulls are going to be harder to come by. In fact, who knows? We may be importing them from China because they are growing so much less rice, you know, over in that uh, Houston rice belt than they used to, largely for water concerns. But I was listening to the guys on the outdoor show talking about how much it's affected uh, uh, dove and uh, not dove, but duck hunting and geese hunting and things like that and how much harder the uh the birds migratory birds are having to look to find 
you know, forage. They're used to just, you know, going in there, and especially after the rice has been harvested, they spend their time finding everything that the farmer missed, but they have cut back so much on rice production. The rice holes are going to be going to be a little tough to find. I'd be trying sources in Louisiana, and beyond that, we weird as it sounds, we may be importing, importing rice holes one of these days. Well, there's really not much out there that doesn't have a lot of weed seeds in it and that you can use for uh, uh, herbs like, uh, you know, cilantro and right. basil. And yep. You can keep the rain from splashing mud all over them. Oh, I can know. Can you suggest something for me? Uh, oh, man. You know. Yeah, me too. It's, uh, it's, there's nothing quite like rice holes. I mean, they're slick and they... Uh, you know, they don't hold unless you, until they age, they don't hold a lot of moisture. It's what all the Florida caladium growers use to pack their caladium bulbs in. So I'm kind of interested to see what, uh, see what they're going to switch to. But no, I don't really have a, I really don't have a good substitute yet. And, um, you know, I tend to use, uh, some of the cedar more than just about anything else, but I'm not, it certainly doesn't do the job that rice hulls do, but, uh, I'll keep looking and I'll let you know what I find. Okay, well, you have a good day, Bob, and thanks for taking my call. As always, it's a pleasure, James. You have a good day and a good week, and uh, we'll talk again, and I will move on and say good morning to Tim. What's going on this morning, Tim? Well, the uh, Burgess 2020 Garden Catalog came along. Oh, very good. And tempting. Uh, I have a, a cousin who lives out in the Bon Armour area, and he's the guy that said, well, how about these Carpathian English walnuts? Will they grow in the Von Army area? So I ask Bob. Yeah, I have never known anyone that has done real well with them. Um, back in the days when uh, I worked, uh, this has been a lot of years ago, worked with Alton Grimm. We used to get a few of them from the Ellie Cook Company in California. And a lot of people experimented with them, but I don't know anyone that ever came back and bought more after they planted the first batch. I don't know anyone that's ever really said that it was a real successful tree. I'm sure if you got it planted in just exactly the right area, you might do well with it. But uh, if, you know, if it was easy to grow in our area, and of course, Von Army's got some of the best growing soil around I think we'd see a whole lot more of them. So I have not personally tried growing one, but and days long ago, I I sold a lot of them to people as an experiment. But I I don't know of anyone that's done real well with them. So I'd say maybe plant one or two, but don't be planting an orchard till you figure out how they're going to do for you. I see. And uh, I guess they grow pretty much like where a pecan tree would grow. Yeah, pecans and walnuts are all very very similar in the way they grow. Um, some of them are much more susceptible to scab fungus, which, you know, destroys the nuts as they develop. Uh, some of them have, uh, you know, wood weakness issues, and I don't really know how much this is going to, you know, impact the walnuts, but I know in pecan trees you have to be real careful because some of them, uh, when they got varieties, it really started producing heavily like desirable in pecans. All of a sudden they found out they produce so many pecans, they break up the trees in a year when we have real good nut production. So 
there you know what always sounds so good in the long run doesn't always turn out to be so good so uh yeah the culture would be basically the same as pecans but uh there are a number of the carpathian walnuts out there a number of varieties and i really would know where to start and to tell you which ones would be the best to experiment with okay well appreciate your help i enjoy your program well i certainly appreciate that and do you have a Oh, have a great weekend. And uh, speaking of fruit trees, you know, anybody listening that is interested in free uh, one tree per household uh, family, this is morning, 8 o'clock down at the uh, Pearl here in San Antonio that Saws is sponsoring a big tree giveaway on uh, fruit trees and some citrus and uh, some nut trees as well. So if you're anybody listening to the Saws customer, you get down there about 8 o'clock so you get the best choice. But they're giving away a few trees for anybody uh, looking for that sort of thing. So thanks for reminding me. Oh, well, thank you. That's a nice service. <laughs> it is, but I get there pretty early. They didn't say how many, but, you know, where they're usually, when Saws does these promotions, they're giving away little bitty plants like four-inch pots and gallon containers. These are actually five-gallon trees, so I uh, haven't wow. seen them yet, but uh, yeah. uh, that's a pretty generous thing. Of course, that, to me, it also says Saws is making too much money off of our water bills so they can afford uh, to do this, yeah. but at least they're giving the gardener something in return. Some rebate. There you go. Tim, okay. I thank you, and you have a great weekend. And yourself. Thank, thank you, sir. Goodbye. Bye. All right. Been running around the Texas area. Let's go up to Oklahoma. Good morning, Julie. Good morning. How's uh, everything uh, in your world? Well, probably a lot like yours. We have a privet, uh, a privet you know, bush yeah. or right. I don't know, long, and it's turning green. And it's, I'm I'm very concerned too. I I think oh my gosh, this poor thing does not know what's coming. <laughs> well, <laughs> and maybe or maybe not in Oklahoma. I'm sure that uh, you you know you're much more likely to see some more fairly severe cold than we are this far south. But uh, uh, that's that is concerning if you're having things starting to bud out as far north as Oklahoma because it's. Uh, winter's not it over. Is. This they is are. still January. I mean, I'd be concerned if it was doing that in mid-February. So uh, I, it's a crazy I, year. I, I'm just shocked. I know. Well, I have two things that I wanted to ask you about. One is the white scale on the crepe myrtles. We've never had that, and last year it was really bad for the very first time. And um, I don't know why all of a sudden. I don't know if it came in from somewhere, but all we have like 12 crepe myrtles. Uh-huh. When, you know, oh, we have more than that. But anyway, and oh, there are a few that aren't in full sun, but the majority of them are in full sun. But anyway, uh, and all of them had scale to one degree or another. I would. Do I need to get out and wash all those down? I mean, before it starts again. I think you probably would be well advised to spray them down with dormant oil. Uh, it's still cool oh. enough to use dormant oil. I'm not a big fan of dormant oil because it is hard on some of uh, you know some of our beneficials. But uh, yeah. scale is hard to kill, and you would want to pick you want to pick a fairly um, cool period. In fact, cloudy days are much better because it is you know it's it's non-toxic as far as having any chemical action so to speak but the uh, dormant oil kills by smothering the scale insects and um but oh. oil is also phytotoxic you get a lot of hot sun that oil acts like a magnifying glass and can burn some of the tissue underneath it 
but um, it is probably one of the best scale killers that we've ever had. And I still recommend it shoes if and only if you have a scale problem because there are very few things that work quite as well as it does. But uh, I, if I were in your shoes, I would almost certainly be looking at spraying with one of the oils spray, probably dormant oil as far as uh, north as you are. It's very inexpensive. Um, you do have to be careful. doesn't go through a hose-in sprayer real well. Uh, unless you dilute it way down and then turn the volume way up on your hose and sprayer. But that's going to be the best uh, control that I can suggest to you for uh, scale on crepe myrtles. Okay. Now, I I don't know what dormant oil is. I've never heard that. I've heard neem oil. Yeah, no, no. It's a totally different thing. Ask ask just okay. about any nursery or feed store up okay. there. It it used to be a part of the every winter spraying program that all the Ag Extension Services recommended on mm. peach trees, plum trees, and all sorts of other things. And like I say, I got away from recommending it because it is hard on some of the overwintering beneficials. But uh, scale's just hard to kill, and if you've got that bad an infestation, I don't think mm-hmm. one January or even early February spraying with dormant oil is going to have that much of an impact on the beneficials. Okay, and now the other thing is that big gigantic fig tree. I called earlier in the year, well, no, I, last year, I guess. Okay. Now. Uh, but anyway, uh, and you said, no, wait until, uh, I think you said wait till the end of, Winter or the yeah. Wait till wait till it starts to sprout out in the spring. That's going to be your very best time to do any pruning you need to. There. Oh, okay. Well, it's not really. It's coming though. You can tell just like everything else. It's kind of Watch, beginning to change. Yeah, it's it's a crazy year. But I I okay. you don't want to prune it too early because that would potentially stimulate new growth that would be more freeze sensitive. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true, that's true. Okay, well, thank you. Those were the two things I needed, and I appreciate it. Very good, and listen carefully. Well, that's what I would do, and uh, get got to know go to news in just a second. But look up, if you are a person who ever has to drip your faucets and things in the winter months, go to this uh, website, Freeze, F-R-E-E-Z-E, Miser, M-I-S-E-R, FreezeMiser.com. It's truly the neatest little device that I've ever seen that uh, – sort of automatically drips your faucets for you and uh it's going to be a great water saver and it's going to be a great labor saver it's just i don't know it's it's one of the most impressive little gadgets i've ever seen so uh uh, check that well, out. I, Go to heard, I heard you talk. Yeah. I heard you talking about it. So it, I will definitely do that. And you do have a good weekend. We'll talk again. And I do thank you. Okay. This is KTSA San Antonio. Let's just get back to questions. And Lewis is first. Good morning, Lewis. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, I've got sir. a question this morning about cauliflower. Okay. I had a beautiful crop of cauliflower, real nice tired ready to pick. And a fungal disease attacked the, floor, the, the heads. It looked like black pepper spots all over the cauliflower. We had that week of gray, overcast, uh, you know, just no sun weather. Right. And I went out to pick my cauliflower, just beautiful, healthy plants before, and it looked like it was alternaria leaf spot. How would you control that? I had these things mulched with oak leaves in the same area I had grown tomatoes in the spring uh-huh. and never had a problem with leaf spot, but it looks like black pepper spots and what it was is everywhere there was a individual flower in the florets mm-hmm. it was dying and rotting out you know where that fungus had it and, it and of course it was attacking the leaves with the ring spot but just ruined my entire crop this year wow 
So do you uh, pull up and tie the leaves up over the heads as they develop? Yes, yes, okay. I've done that. I I think your best control is going to be just corn water tea. Uh, take that whole ground cornmeal, soak in water, and spray the plants with that. I would do it uh, well before you see the heads, and I would uh, do it as, you know, maybe every week or 10 days after you first start seeing that little cauliflower head develop. Mm-hmm. The magic, of course, is not the cornmeal. It's the trichoderma fungus that grows on the cornmeal. Yes, sir. And we're learning two things. We're learning that the the trichoderma, in effect, kicks the what the plant has that amounts to a a different type of immune system than animals have, but an immune system nonetheless. And it makes, especially almost all fungal diseases, it will really build up the plant's resistance to fungi. And it also actively works against the fungus So when it gets started. So uh, to me, that's probably going to be about the other only thing you can do other than just pray for more sunny weather and uh you know we we have had unfortunately some fairly long periods of gray dreary drizzly weather mm-hmm. uh you know up until what 10 days ago we had not gotten any really decent rains out of the deal but uh we've had we've did i i hope that we don't see this when we get into may season or it's going to be one of the worst years for blight we've ever seen uh, right, because right. it's it's just what what happens the way the a fungus spore fungi reproduce of course by spores rather than by seeds and if a fungus spore lands on a dry leaf nothing happens if a fungal spore lands on a moist spot if it lands in a drop of water then that little spore can germinate grow penetrate the leaf or the floret on the cauliflower or whatever so that's the reason we try to avoid watering at night because the number of fungus spores in the air goes up maybe a hundredfold after dark compared to what it is during the day. So when things are wet at night, uh, they are much, much more likely to have fungal disease problems develop. Unfortunately, you know, cloudy, rainy weather's the same way. We have a great increase in the number of fungal spores in the air just at the same time we have a lot more moisture on the plants and that's why you know fungal diseases show up so much more frequently at this time of year or when we have this kind of weather so uh, <clears throat> basically do everything you can to keep your plants dry at night spray with some regularity with the you know put your cornmeal gosh in a quart of water i put a couple of tablespoons in let it sit for a minimum of two hours maximum of 48 hours and then use that as a spray on the foliage and it's it's certainly harmless to people and pets so uh you can spray the entire plant you can spray the entire garden with it doesn't really have any negatives at all and uh that's how i would address it and you know we may or may have not have more of the same kind of weather we've had so i'm very definitely going to be doing the same thing when we get into tomato and pepper season as well yeah, it was that week we had all that heavy fog that was coming through. You know, it gets cool and gray in the winter. That's not unusual. We've yeah. cauliflower for 20-something years, and this year was used. And I tell you, Bob, I tried to cook some of it just to, you know, break it up and then use an immersion blender in it to make right. the cauliflower scent. Right. And the, the, the dark florets just all flooded to the top. It was just mixed in there. It wouldn't, it wouldn't cook down. It wouldn't break up. So that was a waste of 
a waste of time. Well, here's here's one other thing. Um, if you can find plants, I think it's too late for seed, mm-hmm. but you can certainly plant some more cauliflower. And you will have to watch it carefully because uh, we've got right. we should have another sixty days of relatively good cauliflower growing weather. And of course, as it gets warmer, <clears throat> that head is going to want to do its form of bolting, going to flower a lot sooner. Uh, just like broccoli, we have to be watching and sometimes pick it a little bit earlier than we normally would. But you obviously are a great lover of cauliflower, and I would not hesitate to plant some more cauliflower this afternoon if you if your nursery's uh, got a few plants you can pick up. That's a good point. That's a good point. That's good. Hey, if I could just take a second, the previous caller was asking about the Carpathian walnuts. Right. And you're right. You know, nobody's really had success with them. You know, Womax and Dillion still offers some varieties for sale. But I talked to the research extension at Uvalde uh-huh. with um, Dr. Larry Stein. Right. And Dr. Lloyd Shreve used to experiment with Carpathians, and he scattered plantings all over the hill country in different places. Yeah. But nobody's had any success, as you said, with, with the Carpathians, even with the varieties that that Lloyd Shree was bringing back from uh, Romania and different places, trying and and just never. I I even tried them on my place and finally yep. dragged wiped them out. Got a few crops, but you're, you're right. But the only nursery I found that had any success in Texas is was Womax, and it's like you said, I don't know if anybody's doing repeat orders. Well, and and the other thing is, what happens is one person happens to have exactly the right situation for that tree right. to grow and produce well. And unfortunately, the extension service is bad about saying, oh, look, we can do this. And no, that one person in that one particular spot can grow them. But the other 99.9% of us are wasting a lot of effort as well as a little bit of money doing it. So I appreciate uh, I appreciate your experience and observation on it. I really do appreciate it, Lewis. All right, Bob, you have a good weekend. You do the same. Thank you, sir. (laughs) Goodbye. All right, let's get Tim in here for that other question or questions that he remembered. Good morning again. Thank you very much. Uh, about the freeze miser. Yes, sir. Uh, uh, we're in the uh, Kingsbury Seguin area or New Braunfels area. Might one find that device? Uh, go to their website, freezemiser.com, uh, and it will have uh, – I know we, we're going to start carrying them shades of green. I think Greengate uh, – <laughs> I was talking to the guys yesterday, and I'm I'm going to see the folks at Greengate probably tomorrow, and I'm going to encourage them to put them on the shelf. But uh, go to freezemeister.com, and uh, you can see the people that are carrying it and other ways that uh, you may be able to get it. But uh, I actually got it on, you know, on a cold night and actually watched it work, and it works exactly as they say. The thing that I will tell you, and it's no batteries, no wires, it's a real interesting um, technology that they use to produce this thing, but it doesn't react to air temperature. It reacts to water temperature. So, you know, you might go out there and it's 28 degrees and you say, hey, why are my faucets not freezing? Well, the water inside the faucet hasn't gotten down to 37 degrees yet. So it has nothing to do with air temperature. But they've been doing this on uh, agricultural uh, water tanks and things like that. And as far north as Minnesota, but it's just um, it's just a real interesting technology, and uh, uh, like I said, they I had on my faucets. So where I live up in the hill country, we had uh, one really cold night before I went to Atlanta and got to watch them work, and they functioned just exactly as they said they would. And um, 
Uh, <laughs> it's just uh, there are not many things I get excited about, but this this is something that I think is just almost revolutionary in the product, and I can't find any negatives. Uh, talk to the fellow that actually invented it, and like I say, it's not brand-new technology. This is something they've been doing for 14 years. They just got it refined with five years of work down to a household product. Um, rather than something for float valves and things like that on water tanks and all. And uh, so, yeah, I'll encourage you to look for it. And uh, Okay, I, I will. I just um, <laughs> I just really think it's a neat device. It's, uh, I do, too. i got 13 faucets. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, expect right. to spend about 30 bucks on each one. But uh, these things ought to last for 20 years and maybe even longer than that. There's just uh, – I can't say there are no moving parts, but uh, – uh, because there's uh, some material inside it that kind of changes its texture uh, when it gets to 37 degrees, and this is how it allows. It's a very complex mechanism, but there's nothing really in there to break or go wrong with it. I only thing that I would tell you is thread it onto your faucets carefully because the housing of it, not the inner workings, inner workings are stainless steel and brass, but the housing of it is a plastic material, and if you... And I know you wouldn't be, but just for some folks out there that aren't as careful, you can bung up the threads on it just like you can anything else, you know, yeah. when you're screwing it on. But as long as and, – and I was looking to put uh, one of them on my well and found that the uh, the threads on the hose bib on my well – uh, we're so calcified, I'm going to have to put a new hose bib on there before I can put the freeze miser on it. So uh, that's one thing you'll need to look at your faucets. In uh, uh, New Braunfels, you may have as much problem as we do. And if you've got a lot of corrosion on there, I would either be trying to clean those threads thoroughly or you may end up replacing a hose bib or two. But, you know, a $4 hose bib compared to a broken pipe or, you know, a big plumber yeah. bill uh, is pretty cheap. Well, th- that's good advice. I appreciate that because mine get clogged up or... Calcified over, yeah. And that okay, was well, that was my my first question to the folks that make the freeze miser is those of us with high calcium water, you know, is it going to be something we're going to need to clean? Is it something we're going to have to do, do yeah. anything special with? And they said they've seen no problems with it. Um, I will tell you one other thing that uh, question I asked them because it's designed so that basically you put it on the hydrant and then you turn the hydrant on and this is how it's going to work. So in general, anytime that you wanted to go back and put a hose on there, you'd have to unscrew your freeze miser and put the hose on. But I asked them, and this is what I did on my hydrants in the hill country, is I put a little Y right there on the hose bib. I put my freeze miser on one half of the Y and left my hose on the other half, and it works perfectly. Oh, good idea. Okay. Well, as usual, I appreciate it, and I'm excited to try it, too. I look forward to hearing your experiences. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. All right, finally, let's get back to gardening. I did want to say one more thing I should have said about Medina is that they have released their new dry humate product now. You can find that at your nurseries and garden center, and that's uh, that's going to be something really good, too. Okay, we're going to talk to Kelsey and then Leslie and a couple of open lines, so grab one if you like, 210-599-5555. Good morning, Kelsey. Good morning. Good. I, I've really enjoyed your show. Um, I was wondering... I'm in Del Rio with caliche soil, and I would like to plant, like, eight pomegranates. Okay. What is your favorite for taste? And it's real easy name to remember. It's called Wonderful. Okay. Wonderful grows very well in my alkaline soils. Now, 
Um, you will want to mulch them fairly heavily, um, probably with compost. You're going to want to gradually try to improve that caliche soil. And I would even consider creating a little bit of a raised bed, maybe if you can build it up, maybe six inches or so, just so your uh, new pomegranate has a place to get off, get its roots off to a really good start. The The worst thing about caliche is not just that it's a you know heavy alkaline clay, but that it just doesn't let water drain. And water doesn't ever kill anything, but lack of oxygen kills things. So if you've got a soil that simply holds too much water, uh, it's a lack of oxygen that is what's damaging to the roots, which can ultimately cause and even kill plants. So when you can raise up your planting a little bit to where you're ensured that you're going to have good drainage, at least around the base of the plant, it just tends to make you a lot more successful in the long run. And that's about the only precaution I would give you. Uh, give you pomegranates plenty of room. Remember that they don't really grow as trees. They grow as a big bush, um, but they should be extremely successful for you. Okay, I appreciate your time. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Call me again. Thank you. All right, next up is Leslie. Good morning, Leslie. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Um, just a quick question. When do you think um, y'all will be having uh, tomato seedlings in? I, I, at one nursery, I saw uh, seedlings for, you know, that rodeo tomato and not real interested in that one, but... <laughs> Um, just, you know, the, some of the heirloom varieties and what have you. I'm going to say probably in a week or two, um, for whatever reason, uh, there's one big producer that the, uh, extension service favors and they always see that they get their rodeo tomato varieties and things before anybody else. So, um, yeah, that's the only tomato that I am seeing available from the growers right now. But I would say within two weeks, you should start seeing a pretty good selection of the varieties that uh, we like. Okay. And um, you mentioned about uh, Medina's Humate uh, uh-huh. becoming available. Can you talk just a little bit about that? What am I using that for if I choose to use that? Humate is a, gosh, it's, it's a substance that um, it's, it's kind of like uh, ancient, um, I guess ancient compost. If you let compost break down for ten thousand years, what it would turn into is uh, is a humate. And um, it, I had, and I have to say, I've learned a lot about humates in the past six months or so uh, after some real interesting research came out from uh, the Acres USA people. But what they are finding about uh, humates is that they are not really used up rapidly in the soil, but they facilitate the uptake of other minerals through the plants. They apparently do a lot to support the mycorrhizal fungi that probably 98% of the plants out there form a an association with, with the root system. So it's it's something that in and of itself is very little of it is actually taken up and used by the plant, but it facilitates a lot of different things that go on in improving the soil and helping your plants take up their fertilizers or minerals and things like that even better. Um, uh, for a lot of years, people like Medina and some others have put a liquid humate in their fertilizer, uh, but it's in very, very small quantities. But now um, there, and actually there's several companies doing this. Medina is just one that's one of the easiest uh, brand names to find, so to speak. 
But since this research has become so favorable and just no negatives to using humates, um, they've uh, started offering it in 5-pound and 20-pound bags uh, in the dry humate form. So you're going to use it as a soil amendment, so to speak. It's not a magic bullet. You're not going to suddenly see everything grow three feet taller and produce twice as much. But it seems to improve overall plant health, and it uh, helps plants build resistance to a number of different insect and disease problems. So in a nutshell, does that tell you what you need to know? There, There's some interesting information coming out about fulvic acid as well. But the humates are, I think, the focus of a lot of the activity right now. And um, uh, there's just no question that they, they do a lot to improve overall health. They help to improve. And another subject which is starting to get it, people are looking at it a lot more closely, is there something that we refer to as BRICS. It's spelled B-R-I-X. And it's the level of sugar in a plant sap, and we're finding out some just amazing things about what happens with plants when they build up a very high bricks level in their sap. And the humates and uh, especially the humic acids and the fulvic acids seem to really be one of one of several things that will help get your bricks level up. So it's kind of a, you know, multifaceted thing, but uh, everything we know about it so far is good. Mm-hmm. So um, in existing beds, you just like mix it in the top layer, and new beds, you 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 know mix it a little bit deeper. Or that's what I would do typically uh, on you know existing beds. I just put it on the surface, and as I'm planting, I'm gradually blending it into the soil. It doesn't burn. It's not any you know. It doesn't have a uh, an instant effect. Doesn't really affect water usage and things like that. So doesn't have to be watered in. You can put it on dry and do absolutely nothing. Uh, but as it gets more blended into the soil, as we get more moisture, uh, it will definitely, the results will improve. So, But I, I don't try to mix it in unless it's a brand new bed because I don't really double dig. I don't spade my beds up a lot because doing that is damaging to some of the mycorrhizae and some of the other beneficial fungi. Plus, I don't want to be bringing all my organic material up on the surface where it can oxidize and break down and go away. So I'm just sprinkling it on the surface and kind of working it in as I plant. Okay. And just um, one other note. Uh, You mentioned about the tree giveaway this morning. Uh, It's put on by San Antonio Parks and Rec. Oh, it's Parks and Rec. Well, it's interesting because I... Okay, I, I got it on a Saw's email, <laughs> so that makes a lot of sense. Uh, they're they're a little more generous with things. Yeah, and I was interested to see, too, uh, is that it's all really good varieties. It's not, uh, I, I went through their list of figs and citrus and, uh, you know, plums and peaches, and uh, they're all things that should do very well here. They're all varieties that I've recommended for years, so uh, I certainly do applaud them, and uh I'll be happy to uh, to put the credit where it goes, and that's the Parks and Recreation. I was interested to see that, um, you know, on one of the local morning shows, the San Antonio Forester was on there talking about the, the giveaway. They're the people that uh, sponsor it, she and her her uh, minions or whatever. <laughs> right. 
um, yeah, so I didn't even know that San Antonio had a forester, but apparently they take care of the trees in the parks, and so I'm glad about that. Well, they they do more than that. Uh, you know, they're very involved in oh everything. They work with saws. They work with CPS as far as working on tree varieties and and things like that and uh certainly we're all very concerned with oak wilt and all so and they do a lot of tree surveys uh they're very involved in uh uh developing and enforcing the tree preservation ordinances and things like that so yeah there's some good folks uh doing some good things around town yeah well thank you so much for your help again bob always a pleasure you have a wonderful uh weekend thank you leslie and you you do the same thing thank you bye all right, uh, next up is Rosa. Good morning, Rosa. Oh, good morning. Good morning. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you about my pear tree. Last year it had that black blight, uh-huh. but I never messed with it. I just left it alone. All, right, all the leaves are on the ground from that, and I'm wondering, do I need to rake them up? What do I spray it with before? Although it's already starting to bud out. Yeah, it's not really anything you can spray for. Um, it is uh, it is a disease that some trees, some varieties of pears are more affected than others. And believe it or not, what spreads the disease around are the bees as they go from flower to flower, pollinating the flowers. They're the ones that are carrying around the spores for this particular uh, bacterial problem. It's called properly bacterial fire blight. So... I if I were doing anything, I think it would probably be a good idea to rake the leaves where you can. It may help to spread a little bit of cornmeal around, although the cornmeal is more effective against fungal problems than it is against uh, bacterial problems. But the the two things that will make your trees more res- well, three things. Number one is having the right variety of pear to begin with. But secondly, don't get carried away with fertilizing too heavily because when you have a lot of high nitrogen fertilizer, you tend to make the trees more susceptible to the bacterial fire blight. And don't over prune your trees. Pear trees need very little pruning other than to take off any shoots that may come out down below the graft. And when we over prune our pear trees, then we develop a lot of very soft succulent growth, which is very susceptible to the fire blight. So you know, it's, it's a little confusing because a peach tree or a plum tree, you're going to prune those things very heavily every winter, but don't even think about pruning your pear trees or you'll really increase your problems with a bacterial fire blight. So just be sure you don't get carried away with fertilizer, put the pruning shears away, and um, it should be a better year. Hopefully you've got a variety that'll be a little bit more resistant to it this year. Well, another thing I was going to ask you, the rose bush that was next to it. Yeah. I have like a, a, not a climber, well, I guess it's like a climber, a tree rose. I mean, it's humongous. It got, to me, the same thing, and it killed it, just completely killed the rose bush and the aloe vera that was on the other side, both of them. Well, the, that, could yeah. that be? And not or is it something else. No, it would have to be something else. The uh, fire blight that pears get is would not be affecting your roses or your aloe, but there may be, you know, something in the soil that made the the same thing that killed the roses and aloe vera may have made your tree more susceptible to the fire blight. So be very sure that you're watering thoroughly when you're watering, but not too often. And um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I on roses especially, 
I would dust some cornmeal around the ground underneath the plant every year, maybe even twice a year, because there are some root diseases that can kill roses that are very much controlled with uh, with a cornmeal or cornwater tea. Okay, that sounds great. Another thing I wanted to say was I've been calling different ones to say that uh, they remove bees. Uh-huh. I've got this uh, nest of bees underneath right. my house. Right. But they all say they kill them, and I didn't want them to kill them. I was hoping to find someone who would take them away. Well, I'm with you, and just keep looking. If I had a one specifically one to recommend, I would sure let you know. But uh, unfortunately, that's been my experience, that most of them just want to eliminate them. There is, um, oh, golly, there is, I, I found one company that does relocate them, but they charge so much money for it that it just almost gets impossible to work with. So keep trying. I will keep looking, and you'll be the first to know if I find somebody that we can reliably ask to uh, relocate a colony. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoy your program. I'm I'm sure everyone does. Have a great day. (laughs) You do the same, Rosie. You're very kind. Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye. Goodbye. All right. Back to the phone lines. It's going to be Lee and Robert and Elizabeth and David, and we're going to take them in that order, and we start with Lee. Good morning, Lee. Hi, Lee. Okay, let's go to hold, and let's go back once again. Good morning, Lee. Uh, Lee must be having phone problems. I'm put Lee back on hold and see if Robert's there. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, sir. How are you doing this morning? Uh, it's just going to be a beautiful day out there today. I hope so. I hope so. I got a question for you on a citrus tree. It was uh, the lime, the large lime. Okay, Persian and lime, it, yes, sir. It, yeah, and it froze on me a couple of years back, and it, where it was uh, grafted, uh-huh. another tree came up. Right. So my question is to you is, can you help me identify this new tree that's coming up? Because the leaf's different, and the shape of the leaf is long. And it's and it got, got big thorns. Leaves, big thorns. Yeah. And it smells like lime. It looks like lime. And it got the long leaf, and it got <laughs> two smaller leaves. Right, right. So can, can you tell me what it is? The, 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 is it? There are two common names for it. One of them is sour orange. And the other name for it is trifoliate orange because trifoliate means three leaves, just as you're describing. And uh-huh. it is a very, very cold hardy, uh, very, very vigorous tree. And that's why they use it as the stock that they graft oh, onto. Okay. Now, the problem so it's, is it's the fruit fact. is the fruit is terrible. The fruit is so sour. sour. Right. Right. It's sour orange. It's basically good for cooking. You can cook with them. You can make marmalade and things like that out of them, as long as you don't bleed to death from getting stuck by the thorns (laughs) while you're trying to pick them. So (laughs) you know exactly. It's a long thorn. Oh, I've been skewered more than once by the thorns on that tree. (laughs) And uh, the other thing is, you know, if you want to, you probably need to go online to do it. Uh, if you want to uh-huh. learn how to do citrus grafting, it's a little bit different from it is on, say, a peach or a plum. But you could Correct. go back if you have a friend that has a lemon or a lime or a, you know, uh, calamondin. You could actually uh-huh. go back and regraft that. And you could, if you want to, you sound like a guy that likes to have fun with stuff, you could uh-huh. put four different kinds of fruit on that. You could regraft it because, to where this part of the tree produces that, lemons, this part produces limes, and this part produces grapefruits. Because so, I got a tree, I got a tree 
for I got a tree of Mexican lime, the small yeah. lime, yeah. the one that has seeds. Right. I got one of those trees. Sure. But I didn't. I I couldn't recognize. I you know what the that tree had. You know the one where it grafted it. Right. I didn't know what it was. Well, Mexican yeah. lime is sometimes grown from cuttings. Now it takes much longer to make a strong tree when it's grown from cuttings uh-huh. than when it's grown. You know than when it's grafted. So uh, it's possible on your Mexican lime tree that it could be a cutting grown tree that was not grafted. So you'll never find a graft point. But if you ever wanted to take some of the wood from your Mexican lime and graft onto this uh, sour orange, you could do that. Correct. Or, um, oh. if you, uh, How do you know that. Yeah. It, it, like I say, any kind of citrus, lemon, lime, uh-huh. grapefruit, orange, uh, tangerine, kumquat, uh-huh. All of those will graft onto the same rootstock, so you could wow. re-graft your sour orange if you wanted to. Okay. All right. You helped me a whole lot. Thank what you, I'm sir. here for. You Thank have you. have a wonderful day. You do the same, Robert. Thank you. All right. Thank Goodbye. you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. All right. Uh, let's try Lee again here and see if we got a better connection. Good morning, Lee. We have a connection. Yes, sir. Good to hear your voice. How can I help today? Well, uh... I needed to ask you for about the 10,000th time. Uh, is it, well, is, is it time to plant potatoes, and what potatoes do you recommend for the same time? <laughs> well, actually, that's the first time I've had this question this year, I think, so, uh, or maybe the second time. So you, you brought up a real good subject. Here is the thing about potatoes, is potatoes, if they come up and it freezes, they will die back. But they will come up again. And if it freezes, they will die back again. Usually after about three tries, they give up. And unfortunately, every time they have to come back out again, uh, they're a little bit weaker. They're not as strong. So we plant potatoes based on when you think the last freeze will be. We usually fudge a little bit because knowing that if it does freeze, they're still going to go ahead and come back, you know, a second time. I don't usually plant my potatoes until February, usually about the first week of February, occasionally the second week of February. But this is such a weird year, and a lot of people are saying, well, it looks like we're just not going to have a winter. So um, most of the nurseries are getting potatoes. I think Fanix already has theirs. Most of the other nurseries will be getting them next week. And so the potatoes are out there, and... Um, I would not be planting them in the hill country yet. I just, um, be absolutely amazed if we don't have more freezing weather in the hill country. But if you live San Antonio, especially south of San Antonio, um, uh, seed potatoes are pretty cheap. I'd really consider gambling and go ahead and planting any time you like, because we've got another, at least a month's time that we can plant potatoes. So if yours come up and freeze and you have to plant some more, you know, you just lost a couple of bucks, but no big deal. So, um, I, it's just, we, we plant based sometime towards when we expect the last freeze. Now, as far as varieties, um, they're, Oh, probably three common types, so to speak. We have the what the the thinner skinned red potatoes, and those may be oh red. Uh, oh golly, there 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 are a bunch of different ones. Red Lasota is one. I think there's. Um, oh, I'd have to think hard to come back, come up with with any of the red skin potatoes. These are harvested basically as new potatoes and. 
when we dig them, we try to, you know, we're going we're gonna to harvest new potatoes throughout the spring, and then when we dig them in early summer, we're going to go ahead and use those relatively quickly because they are a thinner skim potato. Your uh, browner skim potatoes, probably the best is uh, Kennebec, K-E-N-N-E-B-E-C, Kennebec. There's also a white Lizota out there, but, um, you know, all, all the varieties seem to do pretty well here. I don't think there are any of the genetically modified ones available and you know from the nurseries I sure would not be planting. Uh there's a new one uh no they're calling it um uh I'll I'll have to think of the name of it but there's uh, uh a a new white potato that they've messed up the genes in it and its claim to fame is going to be that it doesn't turn brown when you cut it but it's got a lot of, it's called the innate potato. I just remembered it, I-N-N-A-T-E, innate potato. Stay away from that. I would not eat it. I would not plant it. But Kennebec, White Lasota, there's several good white ones you can plant. The other one that has become more commercially available is the Yukon Gold, which is the one that has, uh, uh, you know, the more yellow coloration to the potato itself and uh, those are the three i'll be planting in my garden is probably the white kennebec the uh, red pontiac or red lasota and uh, some of the yukon gold and we plant them all the same way we cut you know cut the seed potato up uh, to where it has at least two eyes in each section we roll them either in rock phosphate or in wood ash plant them about an inch or two deep and like i say the timing is just when you think we're beyond the danger of a really hard freeze um, and I'm not going to go out on that lamb and try to guess when that's going to be. Okay, well, Bob, I appreciate you. You have a wonderful day. It's my pleasure, Lee, and I appreciate the call. Uh, let's get back to gardening and back to the phone lines, and Elizabeth is first. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I have uh, mistletoe growing in a mesquite that I have in my backyard. Mm-hmm. Um, what effect does that have on the tree, and do I need to get that mistletoe off of the tree? There is no way to get it off of the tree, Um, and it is a very minor problem to the tree, but uh, it frequently indicates that the tree is stressed, and the most common cause of stress is having that root flare buried. Uh, I know Howard Garrett has had uh, some experience with folks up in his area that when they went through and exposed the root flare, which is going to make the tree healthier in many ways, the mistletoe pretty much died and went away. But here, a couple of facts about mistletoe. It's not really a true parasite. It does take some uh, minerals and does take some water from the tree, but it makes its own energy and its own green leaves. So it's not it's not super, super bad for the tree. The tree would be happy to be rid of it, but it's not one of these things that's just going to kill your tree over a short period of time. Second thing okay. is when mistletoe, the way mistletoe grows is one of those white seeds lands or gets transferred by a bird or something. It gets lodged in the bark. It sprouts. It penetrates into the limb of the tree just under the bark. But it never goes any deeper into the wood. As the tree grows over the years, it will have more and more layers of tissue over the top of the mistletoe. The reason I tell you this is because if you were to take a saw, if you were to cut off that limb or if you were to do a core section, you could count the rings. You could look carefully at the annual rings and you could see how many years ago that mistletoe first got into the plant. 
And I tell you that because they have found in some oak trees in England that they found trees that have had mistletoe in the tree for two or three hundred years, and the tree is still alive and growing. So mistletoe itself is not a death threat to your tree, but it's kind of a wake-up call that your tree is under stress for some reason, and the most common reason is from having that root flare buried too deeply. Does that make sense? Yes, um, that makes sense. I'll um, get started this year on working on that um, as far as the root flare goes. Um, my second question, just very quickly, is are the seeds to Texas mountain laurels, are those poisonous to dogs? Uh, the dog would have to eat an awful lot of them. They are mildly toxic. They can't contain mescaline, but um, you you have a lot more danger, especially with a small dog. They, they get intestinal blockage. So I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't encourage your dogs to eat them. But it's not like sago palms. It's not a deadly toxin. Okay. Thank you very much, Bob. Always a pleasure, Elizabeth. Thank you for the call and goodbye. All right, we're going to talk to David and Wade, and then I've got a couple of open lines. So if you're getting that busy signal there for a couple of minutes, go ahead and dial again. You probably get right through. Good morning, David. Uh, good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. I've got a, a, a few issues I want to uh, kind of discuss with you. Okay. I, try, <clears throat> I live out in the uh, Casterville area, and um, I try to do some different plantings and things like that. On, on the small acreage, <clears throat> excuse me, that I have. And just recently I went up to Natives of Texas. Uh-huh. Uh, and I got two of the Madrones. Right. Uh, from um, uh, David Winningham up there. And I've got those planted. But one of the issues that uh, I talked to him about briefly was the mulch. Mm-hmm. And um, he's recommended a cedar mulch. And I was just wondering... When he said the cedar mulch, is is that something that I can buy local, somewhere here in the oh, Casterville area? Or do I have to go out and chop down one of the <laughs> junipers and make my own mulch? No, sir. You can... Uh... Um, you can find cedar mulch uh, all around. In fact, you can probably buy it uh, in two cubic foot bags. Where Where are you located? Uh, I'm north. Uh, of Casterville up towards uh, Medina Lake area. Okay. Um, you you might try, so you're either Medina County or Bandera County. You yeah, might... Medina. Yeah, you might ask if they have a, a brush chipping site there. I know where I live in Kendall County, um, we, you know, we have a site where people take brush to be chipped up and the majority of that brush is cedar, and they basically give it away. In fact, I talked to a county engineer who's a fantastic guy up in Kendall County, and uh, I at one point they had so much that they were, you know, inviting everybody to come. It's, of course, uh, Kendall County taxpayers are paying for it, but uh, he told me that, you know, that they would give mulch to anybody, so... Uh, you might uh, give a call, and you just call the Kendall County number or call the city of Bernie and get the information. I know they're open, I think it's Saturday mornings and open Thursday and Friday afternoons, and I think you probably want to tip the guy that's uh, on the you know front-end loader that's going to load it on your trailer or your pickup truck. But I know in Kendall County, we give away a ton of it, but I think you will probably also find it bagged. Now, the thing about the bag cedar... 
for a long time, what we got was the uh, they they distill oil out of the cedar. Cedar oil is very valuable for quite a number of different purposes. And for a long time, the cedar that we bought under names like Cedar Side, and I know Cedar Side is still out there, and it's a great mulch, but I'm not sure it has all the things in it that might benefit your madrones. So. Um, I would, I would first of all ask if your county has a brush side and if they give away the mulch, which is likely to be at least 95% cedar, if not get the times and, uh, you know, verify that it's okay, but I'm pretty sure it is Come on over to Kendall County and <laughs> we'll give you plenty of it, uh, to put around your madrones. Don't overdo it. I'm sure that, uh, you know, the idea about mulching with cedar is that, most of the madrones, and I've got lots of madrones on my ranch, and they all seem to come up, you know, in cedar thickets. I'm not sure that that's the result of any great benefit from the cedar. I think it's more that the cedar's thick enough that it keeps the deer away from them. But uh, a cedar mulch is a great mulch, and I think it'd probably be a good idea. The good news is I'm glad you got established trees because uh, madrones do transplant relatively well. They're very difficult to get the seed to come up and grow. They seem to get hit by a fungus that knocks a lot of them down. It's a long time, and only a few people have ever really mastered growing madrone from seed. But if you're getting trees in gallon or five-gallon containers, so long as you plant them in an area that drains well, they'll probably do very well for you. Yeah, I, th- I think where I've got them planted, the percolation on the soil is really good, good. Um, and like that, but um, the the issue that he was bringing up to me was that there's a fungus that that cedar mulch can kind of control, and that's why he recommended the cedar mulch uh, right. around that tree because, they, like you said, they do they do grow in uh, cedar thickets, <laughs> they, you know. And, they they certainly do. Uh, that's an interesting take. I I don't know exactly what that would be but i do know that uh again that's what it made very hard for people you know germinating and growing the seed it took them a long time to figure out how to do that i do know some people that got them in containers and they have done very well with or without the mulch but i it certainly you know i'd I'd want to protect them every way i could but i i think you'll find that cedar mulch is pretty easy to come by Okay, that's good. Well, I do have them protected with a, a large deer uh, enclosure. So uh, Very good. And it's not uh, so much that the deer eat them, but you know how they are about rubbing things with those antlers, and they can yeah. do a lot of damage to them. Yeah. Uh, another thing is uh, when I walk out in the backyard, um, it's crunch, 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 and I'm stepping on snails all the time. Uh-huh. Are, are they a problem? They're two different kinds, two different general groups of snails. There is one snail called a decollet snail, or different people pronounce it differently, but it looks like uh, kind of like an ice cream cone. It's like an expanded yeah. circular sort yeah. of thing. Those are That's actually, yeah, those are good snails. And oh, okay. they they even eat the eggs of the bad snails. Now, it doesn't mean they're not going to nibble on a plant here or there. I'm not going to promise you that they're 100% good guys. But when you look at the European brown snail, which is a great big snail, when you look at the little flat-shelled ones, they're called uh, uh, bush snails, those are very destructive to your plants. But this decollet snail actually eats the eggs of those guys and keeps some problems under control. So... They may occasionally do some very minor damage, but they're not anything you want to get rid of. Yeah, I do have them in the garden, too. Yeah. 
but uh, okay, I just want to find the the last thing I'd like to uh, talk to you about are carrots. Mm-hmm. And this year I've planted them twice, and neither time did they come up. Um, the last good carrot that came up was was last last uh, winter, and that was a Danver, but I can't mm-hmm. find it. Uh, Danvers, you know, I'll have to check our seed rack. It's, it's also sold as Danvers half long. I think your soil is just probably not cold enough. I know a lot of people have had trouble getting carrots to germinate because we've had so little really chilly weather this winter. I would, you know, replant again. Be sure that you using fresh seed. You might yeah. even look, um, carrot seed is one of those seeds that you can get as pelletized seeds. You have to get it online from somewhere like Johnny Seed. And there are also companies that sell uh, what they call a seed tape that basically has your carrot seed embedded in a paper tape that, uh, you know, it just it spaces it out. And when you water, the paper dissolves. And those are both two ways that uh, seem to improve the germination on the carrot seed. But I think your problem is probably been just that soils haven't been cold enough for the varieties you've been planting. Okay, I guess I picked the wrong time to plan because I've had some 21-degree temperatures here. So Well, but, you know, it's uh, um, sometimes the air temperature gets really cold, but it takes a prolonged, you know, period of cold to chill down the soil. Um, That's true. And, yeah. uh, you know, invest, next Christmas time, ask somebody for a soil thermometer, and uh, you can do some of your planting based on that. But uh, uh, I know our friend James that calls the show who's a, uh, you might call him a semi-commercial grower. He has his own roadside produce stand, and he is really high on the pelletized seed from Johnny's. So you might order a little bit of that and see how it does for you. Okay, that's online? Yeah, Johnny Seed. Oh, Johnny Seed. Okay. Johnny, maybe Very Johnny's good. Specialty Seed. Good company, though, good people to deal with. I like Baker Creek better because they're 100% organic, but uh, Johnny's, uh, they're the only ones, I think, that do the pelletized seed, and they do a, a good job on what they do. Uh, David Seeds in San Antonio probably right. wouldn't have it. I doubt if David has it. I'll Next time I see him, I'll ask him about it, but I've... Have gotten I know him very well, and I visited his store and looked at his 500 kinds of seed, but I've never seen pelletized seed over there. So he he might have the Danvers, but I doubt if it's pelletized. Okay, very good. I appreciate the information. Thank you, sir. Always a pleasure. Thank you. All right. Uh, next up is Wade. Good morning, Wade. Morning, Bob. Morning, sir. I have a, uh, a question about uh, another question about cut ants. I've thought about this before and, and looking for any, any potential new solutions. I've tried everything you guys have recommended. Um, the, uh, Howard Garrett's um, deal with the orange oil that you use for the fire ants, which right. it works, I guess, okay temporarily. And we've tried the flooding now that he's talked about. And, and I've been in the wettable sulfur. And I've tried the flooding for probably um, go out there every couple of days and do it. And it, it seems to suppress them a little bit, but they just come right back, and and they're they're pretty devastating to uh, to a lot of my plants. Yeah, yeah. You know, if there were an easy answer, we would have found it because while they're bad for you and me, they do millions of dollars of damage in the timber industry over in East Texas, and uh, those guys don't care how toxic the poison is, but they still haven't found anything that kills them. So, um, have you tried beneficial nematodes? No, I have not. You might give that a try. Uh, get a packet. There'll be a million of them in there. Just in this case, don't put them in a sprayer. Put them in a watering can and just pour all over the area where the mound is. 
The other thing that uh, some people have had good success with is in flooding the mound, they uh, mix a little bit of spinosad in with the water. And spinosad, um, is, in fact, my first caller, 545 this morning, was talking about that. And she was saying always mix it fresh uh, because uh, she was mixing it up and then leaving it in a clear uh, container outside. And then it wasn't working as well the second or third time. But she was having good success suppressing them with uh, flooding them with water that had the spinosad, which is a safe natural insecticide, uh, flooding them with spinosad water, and that had worked very well for her over in the Seguin area. So you might give that a try and see as well. Okay, and because um, whenever we whenever we flood them, we um, you know I live in the sand, and uh-huh. so that the mound just kind of go away, and you can't see their holes anymore. So would you right. recommend just putting the spinosad first and then doing the flooding after that? I guess. If you do it immediately, because apparently the yeah. spinosad is broken down by sunlight. Yeah. Okay. Now, one thing, um, you know, on things with multiple stems like roses and things like vegetables, it doesn't work. But if they're going after any of your trees, uh, mm-hmm. you can stop them really very effectively by wrapping the tree trunk either with plastic wrap or with uh, aluminum foil. And then get this material called Tanglefoot. It is the stickiest, nastiest stuff you've ever seen, and you spread like a, a band of it, an inch or two wide, not a real narrow band, but an inch or two wide. You don't put it directly on the trunk, but put it on the plastic wrap or on the foil, and the ant simply can't walk across it, and that will protect your trees, but unfortunately, it doesn't do anything for your flowers, your roses, your things that have more than one stem coming up. We, we've, we've actually used the Tanglefoot a lot on our trees, and it does. It works great. And the problem I've had with that, and maybe you can help me on this too, is when we put it on the tree in the summertime, it seems to kind of just drip down the edge of the of the trunk over time, I guess because of the heat maybe. Right. Um, uh, but, I, I mean, I guess just reapplication is the only thing to do about that, right? <laughs> uh, unless you can find a way to control the Texas heat. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I, you know, if, I, if, if that were a, an extreme issue, what I might think about doing is, uh, you know, these squirrel guards that they make. Uh, it's kind of like a like a cone that you put on there that the squirrels can't climb up the tree trunk. If yeah. you if you put your tanglefoot on and then put one of these cones above it, not below it, but where it was shading it, it might keep it a little bit cooler. But I think it's cheaper right. and easier just to plan on reapplying it. Yeah. Okay. Great. All righty. Good question, Slade. Thank you for the call. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye. All right. It's going to be Jimmy and Linda and Omar in that order. Uh, Good morning, Jimmy. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you for calling. I would like to transplant a peach tree to a location where I know it would get better care. Okay. Busy, Busy in the summertime, spring and summer, and it gets neglected. The trouble is, is that it's already putting on peach blossoms and <laughs> leafing out a little bit. How, how, how big? Do I that transplant? How, how big? How big is this tree? It's in its second year. Okay. Um, Transplanted today. You know, okay. it's the the heat is well. What the reason that we always try to transplant woody trees in the cooler months? is simply because there's less transpiration, that uh, the tree's not using as much water, and it gives you 
or gives a tree time to develop its roots before we get into the hot, hot summer months. And it's true, it would have been better to do this on uh, December 24th instead of January 24th, but we still have uh, probably a good six weeks of time that I would you know, say is is still a good time to transplant. So has it started putting on leaves or just buds and blooms? Uh, both. Uh, it, 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 a real early, low-chill low uh, mm-hmm. peach tree. Huh? Yeah. I, you know, if it stays warm, if it continues to, you know, put on a lot of leaves, you might simply, you know, Put your two fingers together and rub them up and down the stem a little bit and strip off some of the leaves. But a second-year tree is not going to have a huge widespread root system. So I'm going to be looking at getting a root ball that's, you know, maybe 15 inches in diameter on there. And I'm going to give you at least a 90% chance of being successful this late. So just just try, have, have your new hole dug. Uh, try to avoid breaking up the soil right around the roots. Of course, when you handle it, handle it by the root ball rather than grabbing it by the trunk. But uh, water it in with some Garrett juice or some Super Thrive or something like that. And um, be sure that root flare is exposed. I, I'm not all that concerned about the tree survival. I think it will do fine. Is it in an area where you can get water to it or where you get a hose to it without any trouble? Yes, okay. and it's, it's coming out. I used a lot of wood chips uh, uh-huh. last summer, so the soil that I, I dug it out is real fine, and it's going into another environment that's like planting in pure compost. Okay. Well, wood chips, you actually degrade soil until they get fairly well broken down, so uh, try to confine your wood chips to the surface. I wouldn't be blending them into the soil, but as a mulch on the surface, they're fine. The reason I was asking about the watering is after you transplant it, if you would, you know, two, three, four, five times a day go out there with your hose and just, you don't want to keep the soil soggy wet, but spray up and down the trunk. That two-year-old peach tree is going to absorb a bunch of water directly through the bark, and that's going to minimize the transplant shock uh years and years ago when i worked with my old friend alton Grimm and uh one of my best mentors in the world but uh we sold a lot of fruit trees and we had them in big containers uh healed in in perlite but we would go out you know four or five six times a day and just spray water over those trees and we had the healthiest best trees of any nursery I ever visited. So uh, do your transplanting. But for the next month or six weeks, uh, once you transplant, you don't want to keep the soil soggy wet. You want to keep it moist but not soggy. But uh, there's no such thing as spraying down the top of that tree too much. So thank you for your time, Bob. Good luck with it, Jimmy. I'll, I'll look forward to that next peach cobbler. Okay, thank, thank <laughs> you. Thank you, sir. Bye. Okay, uh, next up is Linda. Good morning, Linda. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, and how are you today? <laughs> it's a, it's a great day, and I'm doing what I enjoy, and that's talking to people that enjoy being outdoors, working with plants. So I guess my day's off to a great start. All righty. Well, I had a question about uh, weed control. I have been in my home about four years. I'm single, no man to help me out here, and. Uh, I have a severe weed problem. I have not done anything to keep them away other than mow occasionally, and I have way more weeds than grass. And 
Don't ask me what kind of grass they put in this home. I have no clue. <laughs> okay. Well, let me ask you this about the grass that they put in. Uh, is it green or is it brown right now? It's brown. It okay. Looks, it's it's probably really a lot of soil even showing through now because I have not taken care of it. Okay. So. Well, here's the good news is that you can make a very effective weed killer that's going to knock out all those green weeds relatively easily and you're going to okay. do it with two products. You're going to get strong vinegar. Um, if you want to get it at the grocery store, get pickling vinegar, which is probably going to be 9%. If you want to do even better, you're going to go to a nursery and get 20% vinegar. But either way, per gallon of vinegar, you're going to add two ounces of something that's called orange oil. I like the Medina brand best. I think it's the best orange oil on the market. But you're going to add two ounces, two jiggers, as it were, of orange oil to mm-hmm. a gallon of vinegar. And you're just going to go out and spray. You're not going to dilute with water at all. You're going to spray straight vinegar and orange oil. Your green weeds are going to die literally in 24 hours. And because your basic grass is brown and is dormant, it's not going to have any effect at all on your, probably Bermuda is what I imagine the builder put out because that's the cheapest one. But, um... Uh, it's your your timing is perfect because you if you wait until your basic grass greens up then you can't spray without hurting your you know the grass that you want to save oh, good. but right now anybody whose grass has browned out um, you can go out and spray your vinegar orange oil mix kill out all those green weeds and not cause any problem at all to your basic grass i would also put some fertilizer out since you're what type <laughs> Um, anything organic, uh, Medina makes a good one. Nature's creation makes a very good one. Maestro makes a very good one. Um, you know, in any of the organic brands, the numbers are lower on the bag than they are on the synthetic stuff, but don't worry about that Mm -hmm. because your, your plants actually get more out of a 4% nitrogen organic fertilizer than they do out of a 20% nitrogen synthetic fertilizer, uh, um, drive up uh, or drive over sometime. I'll teach you a seminar a little bit later in the spring, and I'll show you exactly why that is. It has to do with something we call cation exchange. But any of the good organic products are going to be very good for your grass and trees and shrubs and everything else as well. Okay, great. Um, does that uh, spray also kill clover? Yes. Okay, great. And where would I find the orange oil at? Any nursery. Any, okay. Yeah, and um, there there's several brands out there, but I do have to say that having tried a bunch of different ones, I think Medina packages the best orange oil out there, and uh, it it has gotten expensive. Uh, the producers down in Brazil, where I think most of it comes from, realize what a good product it is. It's uh, chemically it's called the limonene, but you can buy it in pints or in quarts. It is also the best household cleaner you will ever find. You can make a better cleaning product. All these so-called orange oil cleaners, they do about mm-hmm. put about two drops of orange oil in there to turn okay. the color. You can make the best cleaner you've ever had, um, you know, making it a little bit stronger. We also sometimes uh, use it a little bit more concentrated. We can spray it on the bark of trees, and it will kill borers underneath the bark without harming the trees. It's a very versatile product, in fact, uh, uh, we we printed up something we hand out to anybody that wants is just a, a listing of all the different things you can use orange oil for. So don't worry if you don't use it all up making your weed okay. cover. There are other things to do with it. 
Okay, and once I once I put down the uh, fertilizer, do I need to keep that pretty damp or not any more than you normally would? The organic fertilizers okay. do not burn. You can put them out when it's wet or when it's dry. Doesn't matter if it's ten degrees or one hundred and ten degrees. That's okay, one of the great. many advantages of organic fertilizers. And can I ask you one quick, of course, more question? Of can course. I? Is it all right to trim my uh, red oak branches from the lower part? These trees are four years old. They're still very small. Mm-hmm. Um, is it okay to trim the lower branches off two, at this time? Two precautions here is any time you make a wound on a red oak or a live oak, it needs to be mm-hmm. sealed. It doesn't have to be pruning paint. It can be any kind of paint. It can be nail polish for that okay. matter. But oh, okay. I don't care if it's a tiny little limb that's, you know, smaller than a pencil. You still need okay. to You still need to seal it. And the second thing, if you want that tree to develop to be the healthiest, fastest growing, strongest tree out there, on your lower limbs, don't cut them all the way off. Cut them back to where they're maybe six inches long. But we call it in the industry, we call it trashy trunk. Everywhere you've got a leaf feeding nutrients back into the trunk, the trunk's going to grow stronger, going to expand in diameter more quickly. So for the first maybe five years that a tree is in the ground, and I'll be doing this with my trees within the next week or 10 days, you go through and all those limbs that are down low that you would like to get rid of, you cut them Mm -hmm. back so they don't become major limbs. Then once the trunk of the tree gets up to be six inches in diameter or so, then we go in and cut them all the way off. But your tree okay. will literally grow twice as quickly if you leave that trashy trunk look. Okay, but still seal off the ends of those. Absolutely. Okay. All right. I appreciate all your help, and, and you have a nice day. You do the same. And just so you know the reason behind it, oak wilt is spread by right. little insects that are attracted to that sap. And that's why it's important okay. winter, summer, anytime uh, to seal those okay. wounds. Okay. I appreciate your help. Thank I you, I appreciate sir. it, Linda. Thank you. All right, we're going to talk to Omar and then Glenn, and then probably have time for another call or two. Good morning, Omar. Morning, Bob. How are you? I'm doing very well. Looking forward to a fantastic January day in South Texas. I'm telling you. (laughs) I've got uh, several several issues here, but uh, I've got a we've got about a 115 foot by oh 10 foot cactus garden that I call the Rat and Mouse Ranch. Oh. Uh, I and, can understand uh, that. Yeah, <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> oh, I would. There is, there's some choya in here uh-huh. that that I'd like to trim back. Do you trim them just like a tree? Just go back to the main part of the trunk and leave a collar, or how? What's how do you do that? Or what's the best way to? There's not really a right or a wrong way to trim choya. Uh, it is a different structure. They don't really have the branch collar that we would see in a hardwood tree. Um, you have to be careful because when you take off too many of those lower limbs, it definitely makes the the more upright ones a little bit more susceptible to storm damage. But, you know, Troy, it's like Opuntias and most of the others. If a piece breaks off and lands on the ground, it's probably going to mm-hmm. root and grow. But uh, I would, yeah, I, I don't think you're going to really find a branch collar. If I were taking a side branch off, I would cut up as close to the trunk as I could, but I sure wouldn't be skinning the side of the trunk you're yeah. cutting it away from. Gotcha, gotcha. And in the middle of trimming all this, the I've taken some of the you know the the the, the native south you know prickly pear, took it out, took mm-hmm. a bunch of it out, and 
found a oak tree in there. It's okay. thirty inches thirty inches tall, about half inch round. How how far out and how I'd like to get it out of there and move it somewhere. How far out and how far deep can I pull that, you know? I would be I if and it's thirty inches tall, if you're doing it at this time of year, I would go out uh, about six or eight inches all the way around and I'd try to go about eight inches down and that should get you plenty of roots to transplant successfully. Okay. And if like, I wait a little while or nah, I do it as any? soon as soon as you can. Okay. Just Got like it. the fellow was asking me about mm-hmm. uh transplanting the peach tree, I'd tell you the same thing. Have your new hole dug uh break up the soil right around the base of the tree as little as possible be sure you're not burying it too deeply and water it in some garret juice or super thrive something like that it should uh, uh you've got a real about a 95 percent chance of that doing well for you okay now yeah, it is well, it is coming from an acre it's not the coming off the roots of another big tree around somewhere close no, by there, is it? There, well there's there's another oak tree that is about 60 feet away Ah, that's not and, a root sprout and, then that's yeah, off an acre yeah. and so yeah go yeah. for it and then uh my last issue <clears throat> i took down uh a few barrels of my their 205 gallon rainwater catch uh, yeah. uh and for something else i had to do and anyway the mice have moved into them a little bit what uh chlorine and water maybe quarter chlorine or eighth chlorine to you know the rest of it water or what what kind of mix to spray on the inside to kind of clean them out okay so what are you using those barrels for do you intend to keep them dry or you do intend to go back to put liquid in them again no i'm gonna i'm gonna set them back up where they were there, there's three of them that i put in line off to catch off the roof of my leather shop and uh, and i use it for watering dogs and the water to plants okay um I don't know that I would use chlorine. I would probably use garlic. I would maybe use uh, um, orange oil or something like that. Uh, I guess the chlorine would work. And if you were going to do that, I'd just get muriatic acid like used in a swimming pool. And I'd oh, mix okay. it like, you know, uh, you know, maybe a cup to a gallon or something like that. Um, okay. If you ever have a project like this again where you need to keep the mice away, uh, there is a product uh, out there called Fresh Cab. It's, uh, I believe it's K-A-B, and it is, uh, it's a balsam material. It's a natural product that mice hate the smell of, and it comes in a little pouch. They're uh, sealed in plastic, but you just peel the plastic off or, or open the little plastic bag and put these things out. I use them in uh, rooms in my barn. I use them in cabinets and things like that. And they stay effective for four to six months. The mice simply won't come around. I'll be darned. Huh. Well, I'll have to have to try that. I tried everything else. <laughs> yeah, it, it works. And I'm like you. And, uh, and mice are just incredibly destructive, as you well know. So uh, if you ever are facing that issue again, maybe even in your leather shop, if you have places where they want to get in and nest and all in a cabin or something like that, just stick one of these pouches in there and you will have no mice. Hmm. Well, I'll give it a shot because these rats got as big as they look like mini show hogs at one point. Well, I'm not going to promise it's going to work as well on rats, but it sure does work well on mice. <laughs> gotcha. All righty, sir. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, it's always a pleasure. You have a wonderful weekend. Good to hear from you. you. Thank you, yeah, sir. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Well, I was getting ready to talk to Glenn, and all of a sudden he dropped off, probably had to go to work. I'm actually sitting here looking at an empty board, and I've got time for one, maybe two more phone calls before our 8 o'clock interview with Howard Garrett. So uh, give me a call. Uh, Chris, maybe we could squeeze one more call in uh, here before 
before that time. So give me a call if you want to get in before our uh, our interview and break with Howard Garrett. We'll tell you a number of things. Um, oh, gosh, it's just there's so much to do in the garden right now. Uh, certainly a great time to be planting more onions. And you'll find most of your nurseries do have onion plants. Great time to be planting fruit trees of all sorts, uh, at least on the peaches and plums and pears and apples and things like that. On uh, citrus, on calamondins, things like that, yeah, it's a great time to be planting those as well. Uh, may have to be a little bit careful on some of the other citrus because we may still get some cold weather. And while I'm speaking of it, uh, we are just seven minutes away. I suspect there's already a pretty good line is formed down at the Pearl. But uh, Parks and Rec are giving away five-gallon fruit trees as long as they last. They are good varieties of varieties that uh, I've recommended for years. On uh, They've got some peaches, some plums, some citrus. I think they've got some pecans. They've got some avocados. Anyway, it's all free in there. They're nice big five-gallon trees, but uh, I don't think they have an unlimited supply. So officially, the giveaway goes from 8 until 11, but I'm going to bet you that by 9 o'clock, they're going to be out of trees down there. But it's down at the Pearl, down where the, uh, uh, I think it's in the same area they do the farmer's market. But you can find them down there. Just look for the line of people waiting for free trees. And we'll finish up calls this hour with Shirley. Good morning, Shirley. Hi. Uh, I was I always do my ironing when I'm listening to you on Saturday morning, but I, I heard you say there was something you could put in your barns or whatever to keep mice away. Right. What is that, and where can you get it? It's called Fresh Cab, and I'm thinking about it. It may be C. I guess it's probably C-A-B-B. It is little pouches of a natural material. I think it's some balsam foliage and some other things. And you might call your favorite hardware store and see if they have it. I have been buying it online, I think through Amazon. But uh, it's little, it comes normally in a four-pack. They come in little cardboard boxes, and it's inside a little plastic wrapper. You simply open that up, take this little pack of material out, and put it wherever you have a mouse problem. I have to say that I have not seen it be 100% effective against rats, but I, in the places, and, you know, I've got a huge barn and various other places where I deal with mice all the time, and uh, this stuff just really works. It's totally non-toxic. There are no negatives to it. Uh, I replace it every three or four months just to be on the safe side. But, uh, yeah, you you may find it at some of the uh, hardware stores around, but I know you can get it online. Okay, that sounds great. Um, you still have onions and all that stuff down there, do you? We uh, most uh, we most certainly do, and it's still a good time to plant them. How about asparagus? Not yet? Yes, got the asparagus this past week. Oh, okay, good. That sounds wonderful. I can and keep your you, whole weekend do busy. Have, do you still have broccoli? <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> At least we did yesterday. You know, it. Uh, uh, we've got broccoli and cauliflower. I think we've still got cabbage, uh, probably still have kale. But, um, yeah, if you're making a real long drive, uh, call them at 9 o'clock and let them run out and be sure that we have it or even set some aside for you. But uh, as of yesterday, I know we had plenty of it in stock. Okay, sounds great. Well, thank you. Well, you're sure welcome. I sure appreciate the call. Thank you, Shirley. Uh, Bye. bye. Right now, I get to punch that button right there and say good morning, Howard Garrett. Good morning, everybody. How is everything in North Texas this morning? Lovely weather, just lovely. Going to get some gardening done today. It's just, you know, I guess every year we talk about how weird the weather is, but uh, 
Are you guys seeing things starting to butt out, things starting to come out mm, probably three, four weeks earlier than usual? Well, it was a week ago, and now it's kind of stalled again. It's just been perfect weather, you know, really uh, low 30s, high 40s at night, and then warming up into the 50s in the daytime, and the plants are pretty stable at this point. (laughs) I started planting some color that I hadn't gotten around to in some pots and got uh-huh. halfway through when the rain came in, so we've continued to have some uh, moisture, too, but it's it's just pretty. Yesterday and today, and looks like tomorrow will be the same way. Oh, we're pretty much the same, but we're we're hitting, golly, we've already been above 70 degrees at least half a dozen times this month, and I think that's what's pushing things maybe a little bit more down here. We had uh, close, well, no, we had over 70 degrees yesterday. Probably going to be a little bit cooler, but uh, getting a lot of people, you know, asking, saying the roses are budding, things are really budding. I normally wait a little later to prune. Should I prune now? And I sometimes at a bit of loss to know exactly what to tell them. I've been telling them if they're actually starting to produce foliage, maybe go ahead and do any pruning you need to. But if it's just swollen buds, I don't. I'm don't, not recommending jumping the gun on that one. Well, it's it's a kind of a tough call, and I think the best thing to do is just go ahead and do it if you have time. Because yeah. you know the large commercial people, they prune all through the winter because they they have to time wise. Right. And we tell everybody else to wait as long as possible, um, you know, just as close to bud break as you can before you prune. Because when you prune, it supposedly stimulates, you know, bud growth and break. So you just have to kind of do it as your time uh, allows, and plants will probably do fine. I had... uh, I had an interesting experience yesterday. I was called out to consult on the uh, on some on residential property that was in the path of that tornado that we had. Oh yeah, uh huh. It's unbelievable. It really? absolutely looks like a, a war zone there. It the the destruction is just mind boggling, and a lot of the houses are still just crushed, and uh, they obviously haven't you know settled their deal with their insurance company or whatever and uh, this fellow I was consulting with said that several that I was seeing just down the road from him were going to be do- torn down but they hadn't hadn't been able to do it yet and the tree of course he called me out for the trees some of the tree companies that he had been talking to in his landscape people had been telling him to cut the trees down yeah. and plant new trees and I told him just the opposite absolutely of that. Yeah, uh, especially the live oaks. Uh, even though they're, you know, the canopy's just totally destroyed, and these guys came out and and cut because they thought they were going to be taking them all the way down. They just, just brutalized. Oh man, them even more with their with their pruning. But I, I think that a lot of people jump the gun and don't realize that even though the plant looks really really bad, especially. If you apply the sick tree treatment, and of course sure. that's what I'm preaching like crazy. If you apply the sick tree treatment to those areas, it'll really shock you, really surprise you how quickly they'll fill back out. And you're going to need to do some corrective pruning during the next few years to get it into looking like you want it. It'll tend to sucker real badly, mm-hmm. but. They're going to grow back. You it's, know, it's really it, bad to cut them all the way to the ground. It's really interesting that you bring that up because, you know, we had, I guess it was three years ago, we had the same thing here in San Antonio, 
and it was it was interesting and it wasn't as destructive this tornado and was you know like three blocks from the nursery so it was we saw a lot of the damage but it kind of skipped it was up and down up and down up and down uh, that a lot yeah and and the destruction to homes wasn't extreme we lost a couple of big apartment con condo complexes but um we had a tremendous amount of tree damage and mainly live oaks because uh of course they with all that canopy and all those leaves and it's exactly yeah. like you say the trees looked horrible right after the event and uh one of the streets where this tornado bounced along is is kind of the route that i take when i leave the radio station and go back to shades of green on saturday mornings and i've been watching it this spring and those trees that you would have said were just virtually destroyed are filling out so rapidly that uh you know another couple of years i don't think you're even going to know that there was ever any damage to them so I wish, gosh, I wish they could come and see what we see here because fortunately none of these idiots really got out there and cut down too many of the trees. Most people, even though they have very little foliage left on them, they left their trees there, and today the trees are beautiful. Yeah, it was really sad to see this, but luckily they called me out, and I probably saved him about $200,000. Oh, and saved the trees. So it's... um, it's something that whenever anybody has any kind of storm damage or anything, you know, don't don't get in a rush. I think that's the best advice of all, just to think about it and talk to some people that have some common sense before you move on. But the the sick tree treatment, boy, it's going to be really fun to watch this one because there's so many <laughs> trees involved. And I yeah. think that these people will do what I recommend, the full procedure and uh you know, lots of uh, lots of Garrett juice, and I think they'll be back in a few years looking really good. Well, I couldn't agree with you more, and I find that we've got new listeners to, I'm sure, to this show and to yours as well. So take just a minute and run through exactly what the sick tree treatment is, because the point is the trees don't have to be sick to benefit from it, and it's a lot more than disease. It's damage as well. So uh, um, run through the your your recommendations on sick tree treatment well we can go through my whole program recommendations because it's all related the first thing uh that we all you know you and i and all of us that are in this world recommend is stop using two major things the synthetic fertilizers which are the worst thing and then the toxic pesticides which are close second and if you do that that's a big step toward uh in the right direction. The next thing is the total organic program, which is using uh, compost instead of peat moss, organic fertilizers, rock minerals, and sugars. <clears throat> and then the sick tree treatment is just a beefed-up version of that basic organic yep. program. Yeah, preceded and, by root flare exposure if you need it. Yeah, with that one main thing added, and it's the most important step, is to expose the flare of the trees and expose the flare dramatically. Even people... I'm talking to a lot of different contractors. Some of the big, big companies now are getting into it, and I've been spending time talking to them. And even the ones that are into doing the base work don't do it dramatically enough a lot of times, and that that's very important, especially when trees have been hurt. And then the rest of the sick tree treatment is to aerate the root zone, either physically, punching holes and aerating mechanically, or with liquid uh, hydrogen peroxide mixed with water, 50-50, Pour drench during the 
through the root system worked beautifully, really, really well. <clears throat> and then the rest of the program is just to apply the amendments that we use for bed preparation. The same things I mentioned, compost, rock minerals, and sugars. Right. And then spray everything down heavily, the trees, the trunks, the limbs, the ground, the dog walking by. Everybody gets a spray <laughs> of carrot juice. <laughs> That's the sick tree treatment. And people can always go to dirtdoctor.com and see all this written out. But uh, it's funny. We're just, and I've told you this before, we are so amazed at the number of new people and young people that are suddenly discovering shades of green and along with it discovering organic gardening. And they're forever asking, what is the sick tree treatment? What is Garrett juice? What are nematodes used for? So you and I, you know, we've talked about them for years, and I think we sometimes forget that we've got to go back to the basics on a pretty frequent basis because I'm just, I'm I'm right now, I'm in a a real up phase because I'm so finding so many newer people getting into organics. I feel like we're really, really beginning to have an impact on things. And of course, you know, once, once the Scots people start running their heavy barrage of ads and everything else. I get a little more discouraged, but uh, uh, I just I really feel like we're on a good upswing right now. That's great. Another thing that had been recommended at this same project was to remove four big uh, live oaks that had been, you know, hammered that were close to the house because they were close to the house, and you're never going to get <laughs> under the house and ruin the foundation. I said, no, don't do that either. <laughs> Let's Let's expose it. And I said, later on, if you're still concerned about it, we're going to take the same air spade mm-hmm. that we're using on the trees. Uh, you know, you talk about this a lot. And do dig a trench right against the uh, foundation yeah. and take a look at the roots. See if see what they're doing. See if they're a problem or not. Chances are about 95% that they're not doing any, anything at all. The beam usually functions as a beautiful root barrier. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's uh well, it, it's just for people that want to maintain, encourage the growth of trees. Uh, it, it's just so so important. And uh, again, I love all the good pictures and everything that you that you've got up on DirtDoctor.com, where people can really see the difference and see what a see what a good root flare exposure looks like. Uh, one of the things that I had some time to do when we were over in Atlanta last week, I was researching, just doing some reading on different things. And uh, the articles I happened to be reading were uh, about bricks, uh, sugar content in sap. and But it helped me understand the damage that some of the synthetic fertilizers and things do. And, and it made a big point of saying that when people are using these synthetic fertilizers leads to rapid growth, leads to larger cells, leads to thinner cell walls. And that's why that's one of the reasons that you're so much more prone to disease and insect damage uh, when you're using the fertilizers that, you know, the big chemical companies produce and push that you and I absolutely abhor but uh, it's just it's fun learning not only why they or not only that they are bad, but exactly how they function to cause problems. Yeah, it's uh, when you think about it, it's really um, pretty common sense. I spoke yep. to a, a <laughs> women's club over in Highland Park yesterday, and it was really a really a good group. The ages um, range from probably the 40s to 90s, and <laughs> a bunch of really. Uh, Interested homeowners and everything yeah. over there, and they it was it was fun because a lot of them had listened to me on the radio, read my column in the paper, and all, but had 
it never really thought about some of the really serious stuff and reasons why you need to make the change over. And got a lot of questions when it was over about who can I hire mm-hmm. that does this kind of work. And that's one of the problems that we still have. I don't have enough uh, quality organic contractors yeah. to recommend, and that we really still need to make some progress there. Some of the big tree companies uh, and some of the big landscape landscape contractors, and we're talking to them now, are getting into it to a, to a pretty good degree and I think are, are open-minded enough to take it to the next level, which would mean to convert their entire company over to doing it. You know, Lambert's has been totally 100% organic since we converted them over in the early 80s, so it's been proven. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not anything that should be that uh, scary anymore but it apparently is well and it's a good business model they're very successful still as far as i can tell they're certainly one of the more successful companies around and it's you know it's it's because people get good results when they do things that way it's just different you know people aren't comfortable doing something that they're uh, not comfortable with you know they haven't (laughs) had experience with and once once you get that it's just it's really easier to do. By the way, you were talking about something I wanted to ask you about that fresh cab product. I hadn't heard you mention before. It's a it's a little uh, bag of various culinary, medicinal and culinary herbs, or what? It, what exactly is? Apparently, it? it has a lot of balsam in it, uh, balsam uh, foliage, I guess. Uh, from the trees and uh, like I was saying I have not found it to work against rats but people turned us on to it several years ago as far as mice and um, uh, if you don't find it and you know I've got a couple of boxes of it I'll send you some to play with but it's a little pouch that's maybe two inches by three inches it has a fairly strong kind of that um, you know Northwoods uh, aroma to it which some people don't like at first, but it goes away in a couple of days. But mice apparently can still smell it. And uh, I put it in, like, in cabinets. I know have known people to put it in drawers because, you know, mice, they'll get in and nest anywhere they possibly can. But it's uh, it's totally harmless to people and pets. But it seems it has, for me, it has been a very effective repellent uh, for, for mice, not for rats. I still fight rats some, but uh, it's been very effective against mice. That's interesting. It may have some eucalyptus in it. It may. It may. In fact, you, you know, I'll try to sometime this week because uh, I, <laughs> I was doing some cleaning up in my barn on one of the rainy days that I couldn't get out and work in the garden, and uh, I was putting out a bit more of it. I'll, I'll try to read the read the label and maybe even maybe even take a picture of the label and send yeah, you on it. Yeah, and, I'd like uh, to see that. Yeah. One of the things that I wanted to bring up related to that, and I think I, this came from one of your uh, listeners. Uh, was the salt, the Morton salt, put mm-hmm. in uh, uh, little, little dishes right. put in the area. Were you the one? Is that where that came from? Hey, it I came mean, from one of my listeners, yeah. It, it uh, works. I tell you what, I've <laughs> done it. I've done it in our uh, greenhouse, and of course, it's the dog run uh, uh-huh. also. And then the the uh, tool room is behind it, in the head house. And we've had roof rats in there and problems with them for years because they come up from the creek, but back in the back. And I haven't seen any any fresh uh, rat droppings back there in a year or so, however long I've been doing it. Now, it the salt, you know, gets hard, mm-hmm. and, I, and I don't know if it continues to work after it gets hard or not. I try it every now and then, put some fresh 
out, but I, I have no idea why it would work, but it seems to. You know, if you're reminding me, I need to do exactly the same thing. And, yeah, it's hygroscopic, like you say. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I find that, you know, probably rock salt, like we use an ice cream freezer, probably holds up longer than the other, but... Uh, I guess I've got my work cut out for me on my day off. <laughs> One more thing I need to do. You know, it's funny. You go out of town for a week, and when you come back, you're a month behind. I don't know how that happens, but, man, I've got a lot of catching up to do this time of year. Well, it couldn't be an easier technique to do. I used pour the Martin you know, the blue Martin salt, yep. iodized salt, into a little dish and, and stick it out there. So if others have tried it and um, have any, you know, results pro or con let us know because if that really does work that's a pretty big deal Absolutely. And if it has any bad uh side effects for wildlife or, or lizards or anything like that of course we'd need to know that too i don't have any idea on that issue i don't know any reason that it would and but i'm like you i don't know why on earth it works against the rats but uh you know they are a rodent that has certain taste preferences and certain certain things that they avoid. So uh, right now, if it works, we'll do it. And uh, but I I don't see any reason that it'd be a problem for you know lizards or geckos, and certainly not for domestic animals. Uh, everything likes a little bit of salt, so it's not going to hurt them if they get into it. But uh, no, I and yeah, it was somebody on my show probably six months ago that brought that up. So maybe they'll call back sometime and give us even a little bit more information on yeah, how they I'll, learned about it. I'll throw it out on my show, too, and see if anybody's got any uh, results, and we'll like, we'll keep an, uh, keep an eye on that. Um, let's see, there was something else I was going to bring up to you. I met the fr- the Friesmeister, uh, Miser people the other day, really nice uh, folks, and uh, looking forward to uh, trying that thing out. I think it's a brilliant uh, des- design idea, it's... and it looks like it's going to be a uh, help to a lot of people, homeowners, farmers, and uh, ranchers on a large scale. And going to be environmentally good, too, because of the water waste it's going to cut down on. I plan to show it to uh, you know some of our city water people because I think even when it comes on and flows, they figure it uses about 10% as much water as we do manually dripping the faucets. And I won't admit to how many times I've dripped them and then forgotten to turn them off for two or three days afterwards. But uh, I... I to me, it's just ingenious. I don't know uh, how deeply they went into the technology behind it, but I'm standing there thinking to myself, who came up with this idea? But they've been doing it on wildlife troughs and things like, and uh, the cattle troughs, uh, water troughs and things up in the north where it gets to be 40 below zero and it still functions perfectly. And they probably showed you how they do it with a little Y connector on a float valve on a water trough. And said that the water that comes through actually keeps the ice melted, so you're not going out there busting the water on the water troughs like you have to do periodically. So, uh, I, I mean, I grilled them every way I could think of, and I just, I just can't shoot any holes in it. It seems to seems to be just the neatest idea I've seen in a long time. And uh, I certainly hope they're going to be able to to work with you guys, with you and Doug. And they indicated I, I saw them yesterday. They came by and. Uh, uh, brought me a few samples to uh, share with some other people, and we're actually going to start. We we are carrying them at the nursery as of yesterday. Oh, good. So, good. Um, but I well, I'm glad you were you were impressed with it because it. Yeah, I think it's going to be a time saver for ranchers as a big big deal because they won't have to go out and and uh, 
check the hoses, you know, twice a day and, and the water troughs and all that kind of thing. But anyway, we'll keep everybody posted uh, on that. I'm going to be at the uh, the Dallas Hemp Meeting Convention, whatever it is, next week. So anybody that's in the Dallas uh, area, it starts uh, Tuesday, Tuesday through Thursday. You, you can see the details on my website on dirtdoctor.com under the appearance button there on the home page. But uh, a lot of CBD people there. I'm sure there'll be some marijuana people there too, but uh, it's mostly going to be about hemp and, and CBD. I'll be doing a, a short talk and doing a Q&A, primarily talking about uh, soil detox because there's a lot of interest from the hemp growers about mm, that. Uh-huh. They didn't have any interest in it back when they were growing sweet potatoes and watermelons. But, <laughs> but now that they're growing hemp and CBD oil, they want to have it clean so they're not shut down by the government. Well, yeah, they don't want to get above that certain level. And, and you know, Dr. Kirby's done a lot of research with it with uh, uh, dogs, not so much in cats, but there's a lot to be Lot to be known, lot to be known about the different isolates and the different uh, products out there. Some of them really good, some of them pretty questionable. But it sure is interesting to me how big the industry has suddenly become. And then, and, and once again, like you just said, that they're showing so much interest in doing things organically. Oh yeah, it's, it's uh, going to help push things the right direction. I think my next column in Dallas Morning News. I'm it's going to be interesting to see how my editor, how much my editor edits it, because <laughs> I'm, I'm mentioning uh, the fact that there are still characters out there that are recommending, you know, what they recommended 30 years ago. I, well, I talk about the fact one of my one of Logan's introductions of me to my radio show says that a lot of people are still recommending things they learned 30 years ago, but the dirt doctor recommends things that he learned yesterday and today, you know, <laughs> a week ago and yesterday. So uh, one of the things I was telling those ladies at my talk yesterday is that the, one of the, the two worst things that you can put out in the pesticide category or Roundup, and I talked to them about how insidious it is and uh-huh. it hurts gut health and everything. But the other one is 2,4-D, and it's recommended uh, strongly still by universities and people associated with, with the universities. And I'm putting in this column that, did you know that 2,4-D is actually one of the ingredients in Agent Orange? Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, comments uh, in that regard, uh, we haven't, we don't do enough. I don't think there's a lot of people that even realize that and how strongly that kind of a product is related to cancer in dogs and cats and, and, and people to people as yeah. well. Yeah. Well, and Dr. Kirby says it's gotten to be his first question when uh, he diagnoses, you know, an animal, especially with some of the things like hemangiosarcoma and some of these really bad diseases. First thing he asks the people is, do you use weed killers and other things like that? He said the answer is almost always yes, and people are just horrified that they have, at the very least, made their animals very sick and, in many cases, shortened their lives very substantially through using those so-called safe products. So it'll be very interesting to see <laughs> see see whether whether they admend it at all or uh, whether how heavily they do uh, um, edit it for you. I'll be very interested to hear that. There will be one in the paper next Thursday and be on DirtDoctor.com uh, the day after that. Well, we're out of time today, but let's try to make a note, talk about uh, something next week that I'm dealing with with the city of Denton. You know, I'm helping them with go orga- going organic on their parks, and they, they've been fighting a problem with 
uh, privet, getting rid of it. Mm. And um, I'm selling them to mow it all down, put a thick layer of shredded tree trimmings mulch on it. And then the next question is, how do you treat the little returning seedlings? So we'll kick that around, some different ideas on that maybe. I will look forward to it, and I'll try to make a note so that we both remember to talk about it. (laughs) But, Howard, it's uh, always a real pleasure visiting with you, and uh, hope you you not only get some time in the sunshine consulting, but maybe even get it in a game of golf next week. Well, we're going to try to do all those things. Y'all do it as well, and we will talk next week. Look forward to it, Howard. Again, thank thank you as always. (laughs) Bye. Howard Garrett is the Dirt Doctor. DirtDoctor.com is his website, best website on the Internet for plant information that is very, very accurate as far as our area, very effective. Uh, The ways that you can have the healthiest garden you've ever had and use uh, less synthetic chemicals than you ever have, check out DirtDoctor.com. There's just so much good information up there. And um, anyway, we we do this about 8 o'clock every Saturday. All right, back to gardening. Just looking out the window here. And uh, yeah, it's overcast, but it's going to be a great, great gardening weekend. Sure hoping you're planning to spend a lot of it outside. Uh, We don't always get this kind of weather in January. And uh, hope you're going to take advantage of every possible minute of it. Uh, Looks like it's going to be Elaine and Dennis and Carol to start things. And Elaine's first. Good morning, Elaine. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Picks for rats that you were talking about with salt? Yes. What is that formula? What are you putting out? It's just good old Morton's rock salt, like you buy to put in your old-fashioned ice cream freezer. Uh, Putting it out in any kind of open container where it will stay dry. Um, You know, uh, uh, that's just uh, any kind of... uh, you could take an, a can and cut the top off of it. Probably the easiest thing is to take some sort of uh, um, plastic container like those big things they put iced tea in from Bill Miller's or, you know, all the many different things you get in the grocery store that come in those plastic tubs. Just rinse them out, dry them out, and uh, put, you know, anywhere from a half cup to a cup of the rock salt in there. Put them in a dry place in the shed, the utility room, wherever you've had rat issues. And, again, don't really understand why it works, but lots and lots of evidence that the rats just go away. Okay. I don't guess chickens eat rock salt. I don't know. I probably wouldn't hurt them if they did, but I don't think it would bother them in any way. I, you just need to put it in the dry part of the coop. Okay. Thank you so very much. I and report that. report back to me what your results are. Uh, right now we haven't had the rats, but this is about the time of year they suddenly show up. So. And as you undoubtedly well know, once you get the rats, and sometimes you start getting those uh, serpents that come in to eat the rats that we don't like to have to deal with either. So uh, I'll very much look forward to hearing how it works for you, Lane. Okay, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. All right, uh, next up is Dennis. Good morning, Dennis. Good morning. How are you doing? Ah, uh, it's just a beautiful day out there, and looking forward to getting out into it. I got two questions for you. Uh, the first one is: uh, we planted Bermuda grass in our my backyard about two years ago. It's not a big backyard; it's probably eighty foot by a hundred foot. Uh-huh. Three quarters of it is just doing beautiful, and you know, with all the rains we've had, it's part. It's just starting to come up really really good but there's probably an area that's about 30 foot wide by 40 foot that it just like it's done it back uh i don't know what's going on i've got a sprinkler system when i water my grass 
through the summer last year. Uh-huh. Uh, all the rest of the grass really looked beautiful, and that portion of the yard was just like it was stunted back, not wanting to come on. Is it full um, sun, or is it in an area that gets a little more shade? It, well, I have a mesquite tree. Uh, it gets a partial shade, but not. It's not. Uh, it's not a lot of shade. Okay. So it gets a lot of sun. Yeah. Well, there's no such thing as too much sun for Bermuda. So that may be having a little bit of an influence on it. Sometimes, are you here in San Antonio area, or where are you? I'm in Three Rivers, Texas. Okay. Um, It may not be the case for you. Here, you know, we have a lot of places where we've got domes of either caliche or even rock that are up closest to closer to the surface of the ground. Um, I know what Howard Garrett does. He has a shaft off an old golf club that he sharpened on the end that he can take and just probe down into the ground with. And well, you can't do that, Bob, because I, I, I hauled in uh, sand. I've got black land underneath it uh-huh. uh, that's got a lot of, lot of clay in it. So I hauled in about six inches of sand. Okay. Uh, and I planted it on top of that sand. Okay. So it's it's got about six inches of sand, and then and then the black dirt underneath it, and it doesn't get any kind of rock until about okay. three foot down. Well, the so, uh, what I would tell you then is uh, double up on your fertilizing in that area. Bermuda absolutely loves fertilizer. I mean, there's just uh, I've never seen a grass that responds so well to fertilizer application, and uh, I would also think about in that area in. Uh, particular spray it down with uh molasses and water a couple of tablespoons of molasses to a gallon of water and spray that area down uh you know now do it again in about six weeks and let me know what it looks like when it really starts leafing out um you know if it stays if stays warm and it stays wet you very well know how quickly bermuda does but i would say you know more fertilizer and a little bit more microbial activity which will be stimulated by the molasses and um let me know how that does for you that's i can't imagine i if it's just very thin shade that would slow it down a little bit but uh uh, I don't think it'd be that noticeable, but uh, increase fertilizing that area. I think you see a big change. Yeah, because when I planted it for the first year, it, I mean, I planted it all by seed, and then, uh-huh. of course, I watered the heck out of it with the sprinkler system, and it come up wonderful. The first year, it was beautiful, really the first year and a half. Uh-huh. And uh, and then, it, I don't know, you don't, you, you think it might be some kind of a fungus? No. No, Bermuda doesn't, and if it was a fungus, it would be, you'd be seeing dead areas. You wouldn't just, and from what you're telling me, it's just more that the grass is, you know, getting stunted rather than having areas of it die out. Well, isn't I, it? I haven't fertilized it in a while. That's probably the biggest reason I right here. And realize that that tree is stealing a certain amount of the nutrient, you know, from the soil. So out in your other areas, the grass has probably pretty much got the fertilizer all to itself. That mesquite tree is grabbing everything it it can, which is reducing the amount of fertilizer available in that area. So uh, let's start out with some additional fertilizer, maybe some molasses, and let me know how it does. Okay, and then the other question that I have is I've got 10 acres, and I've been using Roundup to spray the the outside fence lines. What can I change to use to, to kill the weeds on my fence line? 
you know, I have a Polaris. I put it in a 30-gallon tank, and I go spray the whole fence line to take me half a day to do it, but or a day sometimes. But is there anything else I can use that's organic that, instead of using Roundup? Well, that vinegar and orange oil will work very well. Um, uh, you'll have to look around. You might call Stuart over at uh, Medina and ask him about buying it in a little bit bigger quantities to keep the price reasonable. In all honesty, I'd rather see you spray with a mixture of looted down diesel than to use Roundup because diesel will kill. It leaves a bit of a residue in the soil, certainly not organic, but you can go back and follow up with some molasses, get your microbes to clean up anything the diesel leaves behind. But uh, um, I, I'd be using that over using Roundup. Roundup is just... We've learned so many bad things about it. But anywhere you can, around your yard where your people and pets and everybody are going to be, do that mixture of two ounces of orange oil to a gallon of vinegar, and that will knock down the weeds very, very effectively. But your fence lines, mm, I'd I'd, I'd sooner see you use something like diesel than uh, go with something as toxic as... If you mix diesel, how much diesel to how much water? You can't mix diesel and water. Um, I mean... It's just straight diesel. Yeah, it's uh, if you've got an agitator, yes, you can you can mix it. But um, it, I, if you if you're putting out a fine enough mist in effect, all you're doing is coating the foliage. So you want to cut back the volume you're putting out to just a very small amount. Do it as an experiment in a small area before you, you know go out and spray ten miles of fence. But uh, I think okay. you'll find that if you can get a a good mist. You're not trying to soak the soil. You're trying to hit the foliage with it. I think you're going to find that's going to be very effective for you. Okay. Party. And I will. Well, I'll haul out Howard's book on uh, landscape management for the professional because I know he's worked with a bunch of golf courses and things like that, and see if he's got any other ideas in there. And I'll look forward to visiting again. All right. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. You do the same, Dennis. Good to hear from you. All right. Bye. All right, let's finish up the show with uh, Carol and Sylvia, and Carol is first. Good morning. Uh, Did you say Carol? Yes, ma'am. Oh, yay. Okay, Uh, I've had exceptional luck in the past five years with a Meyer lemon tree and a tangerine-type tree that I've grown in molasses containers. Right. Can I do the same with a red plum? You certainly can. Oh, great. What, what what variety would you suggest? Um, Are you going to have a second plum tree anywhere around, or is this going to be one lonely tree? Well, it's going to sit next to the tangerine tea tree and the lemon <laughs> no, no, tree. No, 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 no. I'm thinking of cross-pollination because <laughs> yeah, uh, we're not going to get a, a lum or a plumin or anything like that. <laughs> but uh, Well, you could. Uh, it would be interesting if you could do that. But, uh, no, it's going to need to be a self-fertile plum, and probably the best of the self-fertile plums out there is Santa Rosa. All right, and if that's you, a red plum, right? Yeah, it's uh, it, well, it has an amber flesh and a red skin. But it is a tasty, it's a, it's a really good plum. You know, if if you have more than one, we could talk about uh, Methley, we could talk about Bruce, we could talk about several others. But anybody's going to plant one plum tree looking for a sweet, delicious red plum, um, yeah, Santa Rosa would be my choice. Okay, and what type of fertilizer? Can I give it the same thing that I do, the lemon and the uh, other one? As long as it's good organic fertilizer. 
Well, it's it, that everything. It's the same thing that goes on my lawn. The growing green. Yeah, no, that uh, your plum will absolutely love it. Okay, and how do I get rid of? I've lost a lot of St. Augustine grass to just brown, thatchy-looking stuff, and I have uh, used um, the vinegar oil and uh, not, not vinegar oil, orange oil, and vinegar right. treatment on it, and it doesn't seem to face it. Um, well, if you get in brown thatchy areas, uh, you may have some grubworm damage in your St. Augustine. You need to be watching this spring for any time you have June bugs show up. They're out there laying the eggs for the grubs that are going to damage your St. Augustine, which can look bad and let other weeds and stuff come in. Yeah, and, that's the problem. Other weeds have come in now. Yeah. So instead of St. Augustine, I have the uh, weeds. Well, and, and and I can't kill. I don't seem to be very effective in treating those either. Well, so. I the the main thing St. Augustine's the strongest grass out there, and it will choke out the weeds with you know plenty of water and fertilizer and mowing. So, uh, you know, it's gotten too late. Our St. Augustine's already greening up. So, uh, at this point, um, rather than spot treat, I'm just going to tell you. A little extra fertilizer, water weekly as we get into warmer weather. Mow frequently and mow medium height, and your St. Augustine should choke out the weeds for you. Okay, I'll give it a shot. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Carol. Appreciate the call. And we finish up with Sylvia. Good morning, Sylvia. Hi, Bob. Good morning. Um, I, don't know, I think it's called a fire stick plant. I don't know if I'm saying the right name. How about name? fire spike? Yeah, fire spike, yes. Um, is that okay in the shade, or did, did, does it really need a, a full uh, full sun? No, fire spike loves the shade. Now, botanically, it's called odontonema. Uh, see, there's fire okay. spike, there's fire bush, there's firecracker plant. There are a lot of different things. Uh, but your fire spike has, you know, upright, you know, spikes of uh, bright red flowers, blooms principally in the fall, big green leaves, and it loves the shade. Okay, so it's the right in shade because I kind of well, I took up a um, a um, uh, a plant yesterday and I, I transferred because it, it needs a lot of sun. The um, I, I even forgot the name of that plant. You know, okay. um, I'll think of it anyway. Oh, I was going to ask you those plants are giving away. Um, can a person live in an apartment, or do you you know over there at the per or do? You, or do you have to have a house to uh, oh, get one of those plants? No, I don't think so. I think if you just live in oh. San Antonio, uh, in oh. living in an apartment, I would be looking at the fruit trees. I probably would be looking for Meyer lemon, a uh, citrus tree. I don't think I'd be recommending peaches or plums. But uh, uh, if you got plenty of sun, you'd grow a beautiful Meyer lemon on your patio. Oh, okay. So but the ones you, that they're, they're giving away today, I can just go and put in the in the ground as long as they're, they're, there's uh, sun? Or, or put them in a big pot. Absolutely. Oh, in a big pot. Yeah, but oh, you better okay. get with it because they start giving away at nine o'clock or eight o'clock, and I don't know. Eight o'clock. Yeah, I heard you. Yeah, I, I was heading out there. Hopefully, <laughs> I'll get one. If not, I'll, I'll, I'll just go. I'll stop shading green well, and buy one. And you know, oh. well, you get down there and see them, and uh, I look forward to visiting. We're out of time today, but we will. Uh, okay, thank and you. And we'll talk again. Okay, thank bye. you.